0: What up, baby? when dia in the Galleria. It is I. Friendly neighborhood dance How are you doing? What's up? Welcome to the Meaning Stream. It's a beautiful day to be alive. Here at the peak of recorded human days to be alive. How are you doing out there? Shout out to everybody logged in live. If you're on the replay and you want to get straight to the main event, there'll be a timestamp link in the description. Today we are doing one of our patented Lo-Fi live scores, adding to the Lo-Fi library. We are taking a book, an audio book, and we're going to be providing an, an, a soundtrack, uh, a, a evocative and appropriate soundtrack that will enhance the work. We'll bring things out that perhaps have been hidden. And, we're, and we'll, you know, turn it into something somewhat different. Something maybe that you can listen to over and over again. In an enjoyable fashion, you know? We're doing... Uh, What are we doing? You know what we're doing. We're doing Outwitting the Devil. We're doing Outwitting the Devil, everybody, by Napoleon Hill, Uh, which I do believe was written in 1938, 1938, but it was not published until 2011, long after Hill's death in 1970, which is crazy, right? Think about it. Imagine that. I've been writing a whole as book, and it does not get published in your lifetime because people were concerned. People thought, in. "This is not information that should be out there. This is too too provocative and useful." You know what I mean? Not your problem. Shout out to not your problem. Thank you for the support. It says thanks for the show. I enjoy your work. Well, I I enjoy uh, doing the work for you, and uh, and I enjoy you uh, supporting it. Thank you very much. Uh, I don't know if any of you have uh, read Outwaking the Devil or listened to it before. I have, it's great. And it's been on my list of things to do this with for a while. There's a great deal in it when I when I was reading it. Um, lots of notes, lots and lots and lots of notes, highlighted sections, so on and so forth. Bits that I wanted to turn into songs, put into songs, sample quotes, so on and so forth. It's one of those very densely packed things, which is full of meaning way of appropriate material and I thought, hey, well, what, what better to do than to, to do one of these live lo-fi scores of the audio book and uh, better for, it's good. this is a cool thing for me to do because I get to hear things that maybe I wouldn't have heard and, and get ideas and stuff of that nature and, uh, you know, you get to enjoy it too it's, it's a great thing, you know Sagittarius so says Napoleon Hill, the OG of based Giga Chats Richard says, Rainy Saturday working and listening to the show. It's nearly Christmas. If you're locked in live, if you're listening beyond space and time, it could be something else. But right now, it's, it's a mere week. You know, it's a week. Sergio says says, I'm not finished with yesterday's replay. Yo, who was here last night? Who was here last night? Was any, were any of you all here last night? Last night was crazy. went in last night. Last night was one of those ones. I let the spirit, I let the spirit course through me last night. Yeah. Uh. Kindly uh, treat that like button. I don't know if you heard. I saw some people on X, you know, saying some people being very upset that like a satanic mural display of some kind uh, with like a effigy of Satan. Desecrated and someone chopped the head off of Satan. They were really upset about this. They're like, this is where we need a separation of church and state. (laughs) Yeah, these people are hilarious. (laughs) Richard says, last night was awesome. Mute Barbecue says, I was there. Robert Easy says, "I was on last night." Jerky says, "Lit set." And Carla says, "Yay!" Yeah. What up, mute barbecue? Thank you for the support, you Batman. Says, "Just got done taking kiddos to the museum. If that ain't nice, I don't know what is." Which museum? What did you see? That is nice. That's like a perfect Saturday activity for a for a righteous-based individual. Why was I talking about that beheading? Why was I talking about the beheading of Satan? I can't remember. But they were upset about it. They were really upset that their Satan effigy got beheaded. They thought it was terrible. They're like, that's what you're supposed to do to save effigies. You're supposed to behead them. The greatest trick the devil pulled was convincing man he didn't exist. Ye gods. Mute barbecue was at the museum of Appa I don't know what that is. That is an area of my ignorance. I've made great many areas of ignorance. A great many. Anyway, we're about to go in with this thing. It's gonna be beautiful. Before we do it, we need to do our ritualistic situation, uh, which is the international high five, where we have a high five that binds us together across space and time. In order to, to, uh, to ascertain the international aspect of this, I need you to tell me where you are. Tell me where you are and um, give me one word for how you would describe the devil. I'm in Mexico. My one word for the devil is cringe. Cringe. Yeah. Robert Easy says, was it the statue of Baphomet? I don't know, there's a lot of Baphomet around these days. You never used to hear about Baphomet. You hear about Baphomet all the time right now. You know, it says a lot about the times we're in. Far too much about Baphomet these days. That cringe lord. Jeffrey Jellyfish is in Michigan. And uh, Rithus is sending love from South England. Shout out to the Englanders, you get to enjoy a stream because we're streaming relatively early. Hello, meat Barbecue in the mountains, in the mountains, blessed. Uh, Danielle is in West Virginia, and, and would one word for the devil, is unimpressive. Stand champion, Nottingham, England, the devil is nyarp. Robert Easley, Boiling Brook, Illinois, sinister. Well, you know what Bell and Sebastian said if you're feeling sinister, go off and see a minister. They'll try in vain to take away the pain of being a hopeless unbeliever. (laughs) Hey. Uh, here we are. Dan Champion, Nottingham, England. The Devil is here. Boeing, Rock, Illinois. that was it? Sergio says is in the gym. His word for the Devil is quit. Robert O'Day, Nantucket, Mass. 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 I'm assuming Massachusetts. The Devil is the path of least resistance. What we got in here? So we've got uh, Mexico. We've got uh, the UK. Various bits of the UK. We've got various bits of the USA. Uh, We've got Idaho, John McGarvey says seductive, that's true. Harley, what's up Harley, says la la land, self-depreciation, ain't that the truth. Shecky, California contained, Richard, Florida, scary. Jado in Brummagem, UK, where I used to live for a little while. Uh, It's in Brummagem, UK. If you're in Brummagem, UK, the devil is all around. Know what I'm, yeah, I'm saying. Uh, Sergisage uh, Damien Harbier. Man's greatest lie is that the devil doesn't exist when man is the real devil. Speak for yourself. Speak for yourself. I only have half devil. Kylo Alpha Tango here in Michigan says, in his ego running on adventure says, Thanks for grace in my afternoon with some meaning. Hey. Anytime, well not anytime. This time, Akira uh, Alvatanga, much love from the globe. Dino bureaucrats, fuckin' it, ain't that the triple truth roof? Uh, Running out adventures in Ohio, and Robert O'Day is right on Sergio's house. I just fished a few sets. Shouts out to the sets. Kyla is in NJ and says, "Teacher, there is much to learn from the devil." Ah, so this is true Lane, well, we're about to learn a lot right now we're about to learn a great deal from the devil which is quite exciting that's what—that's what's cool about this, this book uh, Lane Stewart fashionably late, let's go, now you ride on time like Black Box in 89 yes you are ooh wee international high five let's go, you know what to do Three, two, one, high, five, cinco also, put Hey, 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 whoo, swag, splash, source, drip, hey, hold that, hold that What is the state of things then? It's this. Ah yeah, baby. Uh, please uh, do me a favor and uh, massacre the like. Yeah. War on the lake. That's why I was talking about chopping the head off of the, uh, the Satan effigy. You need to treat that. You need to treat the like button like those guys who chop the head off the Satan effigy treat the satan Satan effigy that's what you need to do you need to just disrespect disrespect the shit out of the like button that's what you gotta do that's what it is that you need to do hey look it's my beautiful wife hey beautiful wife she got a wrench She, she armed and dangerous yo yo hi baby I think we're ready to go in. Uh, thoughts and prayers. Let's 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 join together in prayer. Uh, let, I bless the stream. I'll Turn that up. All right. yo. I bless this stream. Well, how's about we ask God bless the stream? There you go. God, do us a favor. Por favor. And bless this stream. May this stream be, uh, you know, excellent and fluid. Uh, be technicality wise. Just be beautiful. Uh, may everyone have a wonderful time. May uh, the audio sound excellent. May the internet be wonderful. Um, may, may we have a delightful time here uh, listening to uh, this useful book that will help us uh, you know, do more useful things in this wonderful uh, world uh, that you've gifted us with. Uh, by the way, thank you very much for that. It's very cool. I personally am a big fan of being alive. here. Here is very cool. So, uh, muchisimo gracias for that you bad mother fucker and uh, yes please do bless this stream we're going in
1: here mm. begins the interview with the devil. I have uncovered the secret code by which I can pick up your thoughts. I have come to ask you some very plain questions. I demand that you give me direct and truthful answers. Are you ready for the interview, Mr. Devil? Yes, I am. But you must address me with
2: more respect. During this interview, you will address me as your majesty. By what right do you demand such royal respect? You should know I control 98% of the people of your world. Do you not think that entitles me to rate as royalty?
1: Have you proof of your claim?
2: Yes, plenty of it. Of what does your proof consist? Of many things. If you want answers, you will address me as Your Majesty. Some things you will understand, some you will not. In order that you may get my viewpoint, I shall describe myself and correct the false notions people have of me and my place of abode.
1: That is a fine idea, Your Majesty. Start by telling me where you live, then describe your physical appearance. My
2: physical appearance. (laughs) Why, my dear Mr. Earthbound, I have no physical body. I would be handicapped by such an encumbrance as those in which you Earthbound creatures live. I consist of negative energy, and I live in the minds of people who fear me. I also occupy one half of every atom of physical matter and every unit of mental and physical energy. Perhaps you will better understand my nature
1: if I tell you I am the negative portion of the atom. I see what you are preparing to claim. You are laying the foundation to say that if it were not for you, there would be no world, no stars, no electrons, no atoms, no human beings, nothing. Is that correct? True. Absolutely true. Well, if you only occupy one half of energy and matter, who occupies the other half?
2: The other half is occupied by my opposition. Opposition? Uh, What do you mean?
1: The opposition is what you Earthbound call God. So you have the universe divided up with God. Is that your claim? Not my claim, but the
2: actual fact. Before this interview is finished, you will understand why my claim is true. You will also understand why it has to be true. or there could be no world such as yours, no earthbound creatures such as you. I am no beast with a forked tongue and a spiked tail.
1: But you do control the minds of 98 out of every 100 people. You said so yourself. Who causes all the misery in this 98% devil-controlled world if you do not? I have not said that I do
2: not cause all the misery of the world. On the other hand, I boast of it. It is my business to represent the negative side of everything, including the thoughts of you earthbound people. How else could I control people? My opposition controls positive thought. I control negative thought. How do you gain control of the minds of people? Oh, that is easy. I merely move in and occupy the unused space of the human brain. I sow the seeds of negative thought in the minds of people so I can occupy and
1: control the space. You must have many tricks and devices by which you gain and hold control of the human mind. To be sure I employ tricks and devices to control
2: human thought. My devices are clever ones too. Go ahead and describe your clever tricks, your majesty. One of my cleverest devices for mind control is fear. I plant the seed of fear in the minds of people. And as these seeds germinate and grow, through use, I control the space they occupy. The six most effective fears are the fear of poverty, criticism, ill health, loss of love, old age,
1: and death. Which of these six fears serves you most often, your majesty? The first and the last,
2: poverty and death. At one time or another during life, I tighten my grip on all people through one or both of these. I plant these fears in the minds of people so deftly that they believe them to be their own creation. I accomplish this end by making people believe I am standing just beyond the entrance gate of the next life, waiting to claim them after death for eternal punishment. Of course, I cannot punish anyone, except in that person's own mind, through some form of fear. But fear of the thing which does not exist is just as useful to me as fear of that which does exist. All forms of fear extend the space I occupy in the human mind. Your Majesty, will you explain how you gained this control over
1: human beings?
2: The story is too long to be told in a few words. It began over a million years ago when the first man began to think. Up to that time I had control over all mankind but enemies of mine discovered the power of positive thought, placed it in the minds of men, and then began a battle on my part to remain in control. So far, I have done quite well by myself, having lost only
1: 2% of the people to the opposition. I take it from your answer that men who think are your enemies. Is that right? It is not right, but it is correct. Tell me something more about the world in which you live. I live wherever I choose.
2: Time and space do not exist for me. I am a force best described to you as energy. My favorite physical dwelling place, as I have told you, is in the minds of the earthbound. I control a part of the brain space of every human being. The amount of space I occupy in each individual's mind depends upon how little and what sort of thinking that person does. As I have told you, I cannot entirely control any person who thinks. You speak of your opposition. Just, what do you mean by that? My opponent controls all the positive forces of the world, such as love, faith, hope, and optimism. My opponent also controls the positive factors of all natural law throughout the universe, the forces which keep the earth and the planets and all the stars balanced in their courses. But these forces are meek in comparison with those which operate in the human mind under my control. You see, I do not seek to control stars and planets. I prefer the control of human minds. Where did you acquire your power?
1: And by what means do you add to it?
2: I add to my power by appropriating the mind power of the Earthbound as they come through the gate in the time of death. Ninety-eight out of every one hundred who come back to my plane from the Earth plane are taken over by me and their mind power is added to my being. I get all who come over with any form of fear. You see, I am
1: constantly
2: at work, preparing the minds of people before death, so I can appropriate them when they
1: come back to my plane. Will you tell me how you go about your job of preparing human minds so you can control them? I have countless ways of gaining control of human
2: minds while they are still on the earth plane. My greatest weapon is poverty. I deliberately discourage people from accumulating material wealth, because poverty discourages men from thinking and makes them easy prey for me. My next best friend is ill health. An unhealthy body discourages thinking. Then I have countless thousands of workers on Earth who aid me in gaining control of human minds. I have these agents placed in every calling. They represent every race and creed, every religion. Who are your greatest
1: enemies on Earth, Your Majesty?
2: All who inspire people to think and act on their own initiative are my enemies. Such men as Socrates. Confucius, Voltaire, Emerson, Thomas Paine, and Abraham Lincoln. And you are not doing me any good either. Is it true that you use men who have great wealth? As I have already told you, poverty is always my friend because it discourages independence of thought and encourages fear in the minds of men. Some wealthy men serve my cause, while others do me great damage, depending on how the wealth is used. The great
1: Rockefeller fortune, for example, is one of my worst enemies. That is interesting, Your Majesty. Will you tell me why you fear the Rockefeller fortune more than others? The Rockefeller money
2: is being used to isolate and conquer diseases of the physical body in all parts of the world. Disease has always been one of my most effective weapons. The fear of ill health is second only to the fear of poverty. The Rockefeller money is uncovering new secrets of nature in a hundred different directions, all of which are designed to help men take and keep possession of their own minds it is encouraging new and better methods of feeding clothing and housing people it is wiping out the slums in the large cities the places where my favorite allies are found it is financing campaigns for better government and helping to wipe out dishonesty in politics it is helping to set higher standards in business practice and encouraging businessmen to conduct business by the golden rule and
1: that is not doing my cause any good what about these boys and girls who are said to be on the road to hell Are you in control of them? Well, I can answer that question
2: only with yes and no. I have corrupted the minds of the young by teaching them
1: to drink and smoke, but they have me baffled through their tendency to think for themselves. You say you have corrupted the minds of the young people with liquor and cigarettes. I can understand how liquor might destroy the power of independent thought, but do not see what cigarettes have to do with helping your cause. You may not know it. But cigarettes break down
2: the power of persistence. They destroy the power of endurance. They destroy the ability to concentrate. They deaden and undermine the imaginative faculty and help in other ways to keep people from using their minds most effectively. Do you know I have millions of people, young and old, of both sexes who smoke two packages of cigarettes a day? That means I have millions of people who are gradually destroying their power of resistance. One day, I shall add to their habit of cigarette smoking other thought-destroying habits until I shall have gained control of their minds. Habits come in pairs, triplets and quadruplets. Any habit which weakens one's willpower invites a flock of its relatives to move in and take possession of the mind. The cigarette habit not only lowers the power of resistance and discourages persistence, but it invites looseness in other human relationships.
1: I never thought that cigarettes were a tool of destruction, Your Majesty. But your explanation throws a different light on the subject. How many converts to the habit do you now claim? I am proud of
2: my record. Millions are now victims, and the number is increasing daily. Soon I shall have most of the world indulging in the habit. In thousands of families, I now have followers of the habit, including every member of the family. Very young boys and girls are beginning to take up the habit. They are learning how to smoke by observing their parents and older brothers and sisters.
1: Which do you consider to be your greater tool for gaining control of human minds? Cigarettes or liquor? Without hesitation, I would say cigarettes.
2: Once I get a young person to join my two-package-a-day club, I have no trouble in inducing that person to take on the habit of liquor, overindulgence of sex, and all other related habits which destroy independence of thought and action.
1: Your Majesty, when I began this interview, I had you all wrong. I thought you were a fraud and a fake, but I see now that you are quite real and very powerful.
2: Your apology is accepted, but you need not have bothered. Millions of people have questioned my power, and I got most of them at the gate as they came over. I ask no person to believe in me. I prefer that people fear me. I am no beggar. I take what I want by cleverness and force. Begging
1: people to believe is the business of my opposition, not mine. Your Majesty will please pardon my rudeness, but I would not be able to look myself in the face again if I did not tell you, here and now, that you are the damnedest fiend ever to be turned loose on innocent people. I always had the wrong conception of you. I thought you were kind enough to let people alone while they were living, that you merely tortured their souls after death now i learned from your own brazen confession that you destroy their right to freedom of thought and cause them to go through a living hell on earth what do you have to say to that
2: i get what i want by exercising self-control it is not so good for my own business but i suggest you emulate me instead of criticizing me you call yourself a thinker and you are otherwise you would never have forced this interview on me But you will never be the sort of thinker that frightens me, unless you gain and exercise
1: greater control over your own emotions. Let us get away from personalities. I came here to learn more about you, not to discuss myself. Please go ahead and tell me of the many tricks you have devised for gaining control of the human mind. What is your most powerful weapon just now? That is a difficult question to answer.
2: I have so many devices for entering human minds and controlling them that it is difficult to say which are the most powerful. Right at the moment I am trying to bring about another world war. My friends here in Washington are helping me to involve America in the war. If I can start the world to killing on a wholesale basis, I shall be able to put into operation my favorite device for mind control. It is what you call mass fear. I used this device to bring about the other world war in 1914. I used it to bring about the economic depression in 1929. And if my opposition had not double-crossed me, I would now be in possession of every man, woman and child in the world. You can see for yourself how near I came to world domination. The thing I have been struggling to attain for thousands of years.
1: Yes, I see your point. Who wouldn't? You are a very ingenious manipulator of the minds of people. Is your devilish business carried on only through people of high position and great influence? Oh no. I use the minds of people in
2: all walks of life. As a matter of fact, I prefer the type of person who makes no pretense of thinking. I can manipulate that sort of person without difficulty. I could not control
1: 98% of the people of the world if all people were skilled in thinking for themselves. I am interested in the welfare of those people whom you claim to control. Therefore, I wish you to tell me all of the tricks by which you enter and control their minds. I want a complete confession from you so begin with your cleverest trick this is suicide you are forcing on me but I am helpless
2: so settle down and I will place in your hands the weapon by which millions of your fellow
1: earthbound will defend themselves against me tell me first about your most clever trick the one you use to ensnare the greatest number of people if you force me to give away this secret
2: it will mean my loss of millions of people now living, and still greater numbers of millions as yet
1: unborn. I beg of you, permit me to pass this one question unanswered. So, His Majesty the Devil fears a mere humble earthbound creature? Is that right? It is not right, but it is true.
2: You have no right to rob me of my most necessary tool of trade. For millions of years, I have dominated earthbound creatures through fear and ignorance now you come along and would destroy my use of these weapons by forcing me to tell how I use them do you not realize that you will break my grip on every person who heeds this confession you are forcing from me have you no mercy have you no sense of humor
1: have you no sportsmanship stop stalling and start confessing who are you to ask mercy of one whom you would destroy if you could who are you to talk of sportsmanship and a sense of humor you who by your own confession have set up a living hell on earth where you punish innocent people through their fears and ignorance as for minding my own business that is just what i'm doing when i force you to tell how you control people through their own minds my business if it can be called a business is helping to unlock the doors of the self-made prisons in which men and women are confined because of the fears you have planted in their minds My greatest
2: weapon over human beings consists of two secret principles by which I gain control of their minds. I will speak first of the principle of habit, through which I silently enter the minds of people. By operating through this principle, I establish, I wish I could avoid using this word, the habit of drifting. When a person begins to drift on any subject, he is headed straight toward the gates of what you earthbound
1: call hell. Describe all the ways in which you induce people to drift. Define the word and tell us exactly what you mean by it. I can best define the
2: word drift by saying that people who think for themselves never drift, while those who do little or no thinking for themselves are drifters. A drifter is one who permits himself to be influenced and controlled by circumstances outside of his own mind. He would rather let me occupy his mind and do his thinking, than go to the trouble of thinking for himself. A drifter is one who accepts whatever life throws in his way without making a protest or putting up a fight. He doesn't know what he wants from life and spends all of his time getting just that. A drifter has lots of opinions, but they are not his own. Most of them are supplied by me. A drifter is one who is too lazy mentally to use his own brain. That is the reason I can take control of people's thinking and plant my own ideas in their minds.
1: I think I understand what a drifter is. Tell me the exact habits of people by which you induce them to drift through life. Start by telling me when and how you first gained control of a person's mind.
2: My control over the mind of a human being is obtained while the person is young. Sometimes I lay the foundation for my control of a mind before the owner of it is born, by manipulating the minds of that person's parents. Sometimes I go further back than this and prepare people for my control through what you Earthbound call physical heredity. You see, therefore I have two approaches to the mind of a person.
1: Yes, go on and describe these two doors by which you enter and control the minds of human beings. As I have stated, I help to
2: bring people into your world with weak brains by giving to them before birth as many as possible of the weaknesses of their ancestors you call this principle physical heredity after people are born I make use of what you earthbound call environment as a means of controlling them this is where the principle of habit enters the mind is nothing more than the sum total of one's habits one by one I enter the mind and establish habits which lead finally to my absolute domination of the mind
1: tell me the most common habits by which you control the minds of people
2: that is one of my cleverest tricks I enter the minds of people through thoughts which they believe to be their own. Those most useful to me are fear, superstition, avarice, greed, lust, revenge, anger, vanity, and plain laziness. Through one or more of these I can enter any mind, at any age. But I get my best results when I take charge of a mind while it is young, before its owner has learned how to close any of these nine doors. Then I can set up habits which keep the doors
1: ajar forever. I'm catching on to your methods. Now, let us go back to the habit of drifting. Tell us all about that habit since you say it is your cleverest trick in controlling the minds of people. As I said before, I start people
2: drifting during their youth. I induce them to drift through school without knowing what occupation they wish to follow in life. Here I catch the majority of people. Habits are related. Drift in one direction and soon you will be drifting in all directions. I also
1: use environmental habits to give me a definite grip on my victims. I see. You make it your business to train children in the habit of drifting by inducing them to go through school without aim or purpose. Now, tell me of some of your other tricks with which you cause people to become drifters. Well, my second best trick in developing the habit of drifting
2: is one that I put into operation with the aid of parents and public school teachers and religious instructors. I warn you not to force me to mention this trick. Do not disclose this trick. If you do so, you will be hated by my co-workers who help me use this trick. If you publish this confession in book form, your book will be barred from the public schools. It will be blacklisted by most of the religious leaders. It will be hidden from children by many parents. The newspapers will not dare to give reviews of your book. Millions of people will hate you for writing the book. In fact no one will like you or your book except those who think and you know how very few there are of this sort. my advice to you is to let me skip the description of my second best trick
1: so for my own good you wish to withhold the description of your second best trick no one will like my book except those who think eh Uh, very well go ahead and answer you'll regret this mr earthbound but the joke is on you By this mistake of yours,
2: you will divert attention from me to yourself. My co-workers, of whom there are
1: millions, will forget about me and hate you for uncovering my methods. Never mind about me. Tell me all about this second best trick of yours, with which you induce people to drift with you to hell. My second best trick is not second at all. It is
2: first. It is first because without it, I never could gain control of the minds of the youths. Parents, school teachers, religious instructors, and many other adults unknowingly serve my purpose by helping me to destroy in children the habit of thinking for themselves. They go about their work in various ways, never suspecting what they are doing to the minds of children or the real cause of the children's mistakes.
1: I can hardly believe you, your majesty. I've always believed that children's best friends were those closest to them, their parents, their school teachers, and their religious instructors. Where would children go for dependable guidance if not to those who have charge of them? That is where my cleverness comes in. There is the exact
2: explanation of how I control 98% of the people of the world. I take possession of people during their youth, before they come into possession of their own minds by using those who are in charge of them. I especially need the help of those who give children their religious instruction because it is here that I break down independent thought and start people on the habit of drifting by confusing their minds with unprovable ideas concerning a world of which they know nothing it is here also that I plant in the minds of children the greatest
1: of all fears the fear of hell I understand that it is easy for you to frighten children with threats of hell, but how do you continue to make them fear you and your hell after they grow up and learn to think for themselves? Children
2: grow up, but they do not always learn to think for themselves. Once I capture the mind of a child through fear, I weaken that child's ability to reason and to think for himself, and that weakness goes with the child all through life.
1: Is that not taking unfair advantage of a human being by contaminating his mind before he comes into full possession of it? Everything is fair that I can use to further my ends. I
2: have no foolish limitations of right and wrong. Might is right with me. I use every known human weakness to gain and keep control of the human mind.
1: I understand your devilish nature. Now, let us get back to further discussion of your methods of inducing people to drift to hell here on Earth. From your confession, I see that you take charge of children while their minds are young and pliable. Tell me more of how you use parents, teachers, and religious leaders to ensnare people into drifting.
2: One of my favorite tricks is to coordinate the efforts of parents and religious instructors so they work together in helping me to destroy the children's power to think for themselves. I use many religious instructors to undermine the courage and power of independent thought of children by teaching them to fear me. But I use parents to aid the religious leaders in
1: this great work of mine. How do parents help religious leaders destroy their children's power to think for themselves? I never heard of such a monstrosity.
2: I accomplish this through a very clever trick. I cause the parents to teach their children to believe as the parents do in connection with religion, politics, marriage, and other important subjects. In this way, as you can see, When I gain control of the mind of a person, I can easily perpetuate the control by causing that person to help me fasten it upon the minds of his offspring. In
1: what other ways do you use parents to convert children into drifters?
2: I cause children to become drifters by following the example of their parents, most of whom I have already taken over and bound eternally to my cause. In some parts of the world, I gain mastery over children's minds and subdue their willpower in exactly the same way that men break and subdue animals of lower intelligence. It makes no difference to me how a child's will is subdued, as long as it fears something. I will enter its mind through that fear and limit the child's power to think independently. It
1: seems that you go out of your way to keep people from thinking.
2: Yes. Accurate thought is death to me. I cannot exist in the minds of those who think accurately. I do not mind people thinking as long as they think in terms of fear, discouragement, hopelessness and destructiveness. When they begin to think in constructive terms of faith, courage, hope and definiteness of purpose, they immediately become allies of my opposition and are therefore lost to me.
1: I'm beginning to understand how you gain control of the minds of children through the help of their parents and religious instructors, but I do not see how the school teachers help you in this damnable work. School teachers help me gain control of the minds of children, not so
2: much by what they teach the children as because of what they do not teach them. The entire public school system is so administered that it helps my cause by teaching children almost everything except how to use their own minds and think independently. I live in fear that someday some courageous person will reverse the present system of school teaching and deal my cause a death blow by allowing the students to become the instructors, using those who now serve as teachers only as guides to help the children establish ways and means of developing their own minds from within. When that
1: time comes, the school teachers will no longer belong to my staff. I was under the impression that the purpose of all schooling was to help children to think. That may be the purpose of schooling, but the system in most of the schools of
2: the world does not carry out the purpose. School children are taught not to develop and use their own minds, but to adopt and use the thoughts of others. This sort of schooling destroys the capacity for independent thought, except in a few rare cases where the children rely so definitely upon their own willpower that they refuse to allow others to do their thinking accurate thought is the business of my opposition not mine
1: what relationship if any has your opposition with the homes the churches and the schools your reply to this question should be interesting here is where
2: I make use of some more of my clever tricks I cause it to appear that everything done by the parents the school teachers and the religious instructors is being done by my opposition this diverts attention from me while I manipulate the minds of the young When religious instructors try to teach children the virtues of my opposition, they generally do so by frightening them with my name. That is all I ask of them. I kindle the flame of fear into proportions which destroy the child's power to think accurately. In the public schools, the teachers further my cause by keeping the children so busy cramming non-essential information into their minds, they have no opportunity to think accurately or to analyze correctly the things their instructors teach them.
1: Do you claim, for your cause, all those who are bound by the habit of drifting? No.
2: Drifting is only one of my tricks through which I take over the power of independent thought. Before a drifter becomes my permanent property, I must lead him on and ensnare him with another trick. I will tell you about this other trick after I finish describing my methods of converting people into drifters.
1: Do you mean you have a method by which you can cause people to drift so far away from self-determination that they can never save themselves?
2: Yes, a definite method, and it is so effective it never fails.
1: Do I understand you to claim your method is so powerful your opposition cannot reclaim those whom you have permanently ensnared through drifting? I claim just that. Do you think I would control
2: so many people if my opposition could prevent me? Nothing can stop me from controlling people except people themselves nothing can stop me except the power of accurate thought. People who think accurately do not drift on any subject. They recognize the power of their own minds. Moreover, they take over that power and
1: yield it to no person or influence. Go ahead and tell me more of the methods by which you cause people to drift to hell with you. I cause people to drift
2: on every subject through which I can control independent thought and action. Take the subject of health, for example. I cause most people to eat too much food and the wrong sort of food. This leads to indigestion and destroys the power of accurate thought. If the public schools and the churches taught children more about proper eating, they would do my cause irreparable damage. Marriage. I cause men and women to drift into marriage without plan or purpose designed to convert the relationship into harmony. Here is one of my most effective methods of converting people into the habit of drifting. I cause married people to bicker and nag one another over money matters. I cause them to quarrel over the bringing up of their children. I engage them in unpleasant controversies over their intimate relationships and in disagreements over friends and social activities. I keep them so busy finding fault with one another that they never have time to do anything else long enough to break the habit of drifting. Occupation. I teach people to become drifters by causing them to drift out of school into the first job they can find with no definite aim or purpose except to make a living. Through this trick I keep millions of people in fear of poverty all their lives. Through this fear I lead them slowly but surely onward until they reach the point beyond which no individual ever has broken the drifting habit. Savings. I cause people to spend freely and to save sparingly or not at all until I take complete control of them through their fear of poverty environment I cause people to drift into inharmonious and unpleasant environments in the home in their places of occupation in their relationship with relatives and acquaintances and to remain there until I claim them through the habit of drifting dominating thoughts I cause people to drift into the habit of thinking negative thoughts This leads to negative acts and involves people in controversies and fills their minds with fears, thus paving the way for me to enter and control their minds. When I move in, I do so by appealing to people through negative thoughts, which they believe to be their own. I plant the seeds of negative thought in the minds of people through the pulpit, the newspapers, the moving pictures, the radio, and all other popular methods of appeal to the mind. I cause people to allow me to do their thinking for them because they
1: are too lazy and too indifferent to think for themselves. I conclude from what you say that drifting and procrastination are the same. Is that true? Yes,
2: that is correct. Any habit which causes one to procrastinate, to put off reaching a definite decision, leads to the habit of drifting.
1: Is man the only creature who drifts?
2: Yes. All other creatures move in response to definite laws of nature. Man alone defies nature's laws and drifts swing wills. Everything outside the minds of men is controlled by my opposition, by laws so definite that drifting is impossible. I control the minds of men solely because of their habit of drifting, which is only another way of saying that I control the minds of men only
1: because they neglect or refuse to control and use their own minds. This is getting to be pretty deep stuff for a mere human being. Let us get back to the discussion of something less abstract. Please tell me how this drifting habit affects people in the everyday walks of life, and tell me in terms the average person can understand. I would prefer to keep this interview up among the stars. No doubt you would. That would save you from being exposed. But let us come back to Earth. Tell me now what drifting is doing to us as a nation here in the United States. Frankly,. I may as
2: well tell you that I hate the United States as only the devil can hate. That is interesting. What is the cause of this hatred? The cause was born on July 4, 1776, when 56 men signed a document which destroyed my chances of controlling the nation. You know that document as the Declaration of Independence. Had it not been for the influence of that damnable document, I would now have a dictator running the country and I would stop this right to free speech and independent
1: thought that is threatening my rule on earth. Am I to understand from what you say that nations controlled by self-appointed dictators belong in your camp? There are no self-appointed dictators. I appoint them all. Moreover I manipulate
2: them and direct them in their work. Nations run by my dictators know what they want and take it by force. Look what I have done through Mussolini in Italy. Look what I am doing through Hitler in Germany. Look what I am doing through Stalin in Russia. My dictators run those nations for me because the people have been subdued through the habit of drifting. My dictators do no drifting. That is why they rule for me, the millions of people under their control.
1: What would happen if Mussolini, Stalin, and Hitler turned traitors and disavowed you and your rule? That will not happen because
2: I have them too well bribed. I am paying each of them with a sop of his own vanity by making him believe he is acting on his own account. That is another trick of mine.
1: Let us come back to the United States and learn something of what you are doing to convert people into the habit of drifting.
2: Right now I am paving the way for a dictatorship by sowing the seeds of fear and uncertainty in the minds of the people. Through whom are you carrying on your work? Mainly through the president. I am destroying his influence with the people by causing him to drift on the question of a working agreement between employers and their employees. If I can induce him to drift for another year, he will be so thoroughly discredited I can hand over the country to a dictator. If the president continues to drift, I will paralyze personal freedom in the United States just as I destroyed
1: it in Spain, Italy, Germany, and England. What you say leads me to the conclusion that drifting is a weakness which inevitably ends in failure, whether among individuals or nations. Is that your claim? Drifting
2: is the most common cause of failure in every walk of life. I can control anyone whom I can induce to form the habit of drifting on any subject. The reason for this is twofold. First, the drifter is just so much putty in my hands to be molded into whatever pattern I choose, because drifting destroys the power of individual initiative. Second, the drifter cannot get help from my opposition, because the opposition
1: is not attracted to anything so soft and useless. Is that why a few people are wealthy while the majority of people are poor? That is exactly the reason.
2: Poverty, like physical illness, is a contagious disease. You find it always among the drifters, never among those who know what they want and are determined to get just that. It may mean something to you when I call your attention to the fact that the non-drifters, whom I do not control, and those who possess most of the wealth of the world, happen to be the same people.
1: I have always understood that money was the root of all evil, that the poor and the meek would inherit heaven, while the wealthy would pass into your hands. What have you to say of that claim?
2: Men who know how to get the material things of life generally know how to keep out of the hands of the devil as well. The ability to acquire things is contagious. Drifters acquire nothing except that which no one else wants. If more people had definite aims and stronger desires for
1: material and spiritual riches, I would have fewer victims. I assume from what you say that you do not claim fellowship with the industrial leaders. Evidently, they are not friends of yours. Friends of mine. I'll tell you
2: what sort of friends of mine they are. They have belted the entire country with good roads, thus bringing into close communion the people of both city and country. They have converted ores into steel, with which they have built the skeletons of great skyscrapers. They have harnessed electrical power and converted it into a thousand uses, all designed to give man time to think. They have provided, through the automobile, personal transportation to the humblest citizen, thus giving to everyone the freedom of travel. They have provided every home with instantaneous news of what is happening in all parts of the world through the aid of the radio. They have reared libraries in every city, town, and hamlet, and have filled them with books giving to all who read a complete outline of the most useful knowledge mankind has gathered from his experiences. They have given the humblest citizen the right to express his own opinion on any subject, at any time, anywhere, without fear of molestation, and they have seen to it that every citizen may help make his own laws, levy his own taxes, and manage his own country through the ballot. These are but some of the things the industrial leaders have done to give every citizen the privilege of becoming a non-drifter. Do you think these men have helped my
1: cause? Who are some of the present-day non-drifters over whom you have no control? I have control over no non-drifter, present or past. I control the weak, not those who think for themselves. Go ahead and describe a typical drifter. Give your description point by point so I can recognize a drifter when I see him. The first thing you will notice about a drifter is his total lack of a major purpose in
2: life. He will be conspicuous by his lack of self-confidence. He will never accomplish anything requiring thought and effort. He spends all he earns and more, too, if he can get credit. He will be sick or ailing from some real or imaginary cause, and calling to high heaven if he suffers the least physical pain. He will have little or no imagination. He will lack enthusiasm and initiative to begin anything he is not forced to undertake. And he will plainly express his weakness by taking the line of least resistance whenever he can do so he will be ill-tempered and lacking in control over his emotions his personality will be without magnetism and it will not attract other people he will have opinions on everything but accurate knowledge of nothing he may be jack of all trades but good at none he will neglect to cooperate with those around him even those on whom he must depend for food and shelter he will make the same mistake over and over again never profiting by failure he will be narrow-minded and intolerant on all subjects ready to crucify those who may disagree with him he will expect everything of others but be willing to give little or nothing in return he may begin many things but he will complete nothing he will be loud in his condemnation of his government but he will never tell you definitely how it can be improved. He will never reach decisions on anything if he can avoid it, and if he is forced to decide, he will reverse himself at the first opportunity. He will eat too much and exercise too little. He will take a drink of liquor if someone else will pay for it. He will gamble if he can do it on the cuff. He will criticize others who are succeeding in their chosen calling. In brief, the Drifter will work harder to get out of thinking than most others work in earning a good living. He will tell a lie rather than admit his ignorance on any subject. If he works for
1: others, he will criticize them to their backs and flatter them to their faces. You have given me a graphic description of the Drifter. Please now describe the non-Drifter so that I may recognize him on sight. The first sign of a non-Drifter is this.
2: He is always engaged in doing something definite through some well-organized plan which is definite. He has a major goal in life toward which he is always working, and many minor goals, all of which lead toward his central scheme. The tone of his voice, the quickness of his step, the sparkle in his eyes, the quickness of his decisions clearly mark him as a person who knows exactly what he wants and is determined to get it, no matter how long it may take or what price he must pay. If you ask him questions, he gives you direct answers and never falls back on evasions or resorts to subterfuge He extends many favors to others, but accepts favors sparingly, or not at all He will be found up front, whether he is playing a game or fighting a war If he does not know the answers, he will say so, frankly He has a good memory, never offers an alibi for his shortcomings He never blames others for his mistakes, no matter if they deserve the blame He used to be known as a go-getter, but in modern times, he is called a go-giver. You will find him running the biggest business in town, living on the best street, driving the best automobile, and making his presence felt wherever he happens to be. He is an inspiration to all who come into contact with his mind. The major distinguishing feature of the non-drifter is this. He has a mind of his own, and uses it for all purposes.
1: Is the non-drifter born with some mental, physical, or spiritual advantage not available to the drifter?
2: No. The major difference between the drifter and the non-drifter is something equally available to both. It is simply the
1: prerogative right of each to use his own mind and think for himself. What brief message would you send to the typical drifter if you wish to cure him of this evil habit? I would admonish him to wake up and give. Give what? some form
2: of service useful to as many people as possible
1: so the non drifter is supposed to give is he
2: yes if he expects to get and he must give before he gets some people doubt
1: that you exist
2: i wouldn't worry about that if i were you those who are ready to be converted from the habit of drifting will recognize the authenticity of this interview by its soundness of counsel the others are not worth the trouble it would
1: take to convert them Why do you not try to stop me from publishing this confession I'm wringing from you? Because that would be the surest of all ways to guarantee you will publish
2: it. I have a better plan than trying to suppress publication of my confession. I will urge you to go ahead with the publication. Then sit back and watch you suffer when some of my faithful drifters begin to make things hot for you. I will not need to deny your story. My followers will do that for me. See if they
1: don't. If this confession of yours stopped right here, your statement would be sound. But fortunately for millions of your victims who will gain their release because of your confession, this interview will continue until you have supplied me with the weapon by which you will eventually be restrained from domination of people through their fears and superstitions. Remember, Your Majesty, your confession has just begun. After I wring from you a description of the methods by which you control people, I will force you also to give the formula by which your control can be broken at will. It is true I shall not remain here long enough to defeat you, but the published word I leave behind me will be deathless, because it will consist of truth. You fear the opposition of no individual, because you know it will be short, but you do fear truth you fear truth and nothing else for the reason it is slowly but definitely giving human beings freedom from all manner of fear without the weapon of fear you would be helpless and entirely unable to control any human being is that true or false
2: I have no alternative but to admit that what you say is true
1: now that we understand each other let us go ahead with your confession but before we continue I may as well take time out to do a little boasting on my own account, now that you have had your fling at it. I will confine myself to one question, the answer to which will give me all the satisfaction I want. Is it not true that you control only the minds of those who have allowed the drifting habit to be fixed upon them?
2: Yes, that is true. I have already admitted this truth in a dozen or more different ways.
1: Why do you tantalize me by repeating the question? There is power in repetition. I'm forcing you to repeat the highlights of your confession in as many different ways as possible so your victims may check this interview and determine its soundness by their own experiences with you. That is one of my little tricks. Do you approve of my
2: method? You couldn't be setting a trap for me for the purpose of doing some more boasting,
1: could you? I am asking the questions and you are doing the answering. Go ahead now and confess why you are powerless to stop me from forcing this confession from you. I want your confession for aid and comfort to victims of yours whom I intend to release from your control the moment they read your confession. I am powerless to influence
2: or control you because you have found the secret approach to my kingdom. You know that I exist only in the minds of people who have fears. You know that I control only the drifters who neglect to use their own minds. You know that my hell is here on earth, and not in the world that comes after death. And you know also that drifters supply all the fire I use in my hell. You know that I am a principle or form of energy which expresses the negative side of matter and energy, and that I am not a person with a forked tongue and a spiked tail. You have become my master because you have mastered all your fears. Lastly, you know that you can release all of my earthbound victims whom you contact. And this definite knowledge is the blow with which you will deal me the greatest damage. I cannot control you because you have discovered your own mind, and you have taken charge of it. There now, Mr. Earthbound, that confession should feed your vanity to the bursting point.
1: That last dart was unnecessary. Knowledge of the sword I've used to master you does not contaminate itself with vulgar indulgence and vanity. Truth is the one and only thing in the world that can stand ridicule. Now let us continue with your confession. What is wrong with the principle of flattery? You use it, do you not?
2: Do I use it? Man alive, flattery is one of my most useful weapons.
1: With this deadly instrument, I slay the big ones and the little ones. Your admission interests me. Go ahead now and tell me how you make use of flattery. I make
2: use of it in so many ways it is difficult to know where to begin. I warn you, before I answer in detail, that publishing my answers will bring down an avalanche of ridicule on your head for bringing up the question.
1: I'll take the responsibility. Proceed.
2: Well, I may as well here admit that you have stumbled onto the major secret of how I
1: convert people to the habit of drifting. That is a startling admission. Go ahead with your confession and stick strictly to this subject of flattery. No more side remarks and no more facetiousness for the present. Tell me all about your use of flattery in gaining control over people.
2: Flattery is a bait of incomparable value to all who wish to gain control over others. It has powerful pulling qualities because it operates through two of the most common human weaknesses, vanity and egotism. There is a certain amount of vanity and egotism in everyone. In some people, these qualities are so pronounced, they literally serve as a rope by which one may be bound. The best of all ropes is flattery. Flattery is the chief bait through which men seduce women. Sometimes, in fact, frequently, women use the same bait to gain control of men, especially men who cannot be mastered through sex appeal. I teach its use to both men and women. Flattery is the chief bait with which my agents weave their way into the confidence of people from whom they procure information needed to carry on
0: warfare.
2: Wherever anyone stops to feed his vanity on flattery, I move in and begin to build another drifter. Non-drifters are not easily flattered. I inspire people to use flattery in every human relationship where its use is possible because those who are influenced by it become easy victims of the drifting habit. Can you control
1: anyone who is amenable to flattery?
2: Very easily. As I have already told you, flattery is of major importance in alluring
1: people into the habit of drifting. At what age are people most susceptible to flattery?
2: Age has nothing to do with one's susceptibility to flattery. People respond to it in one way or another from the time they become conscious of their own existence until they die
1: through what motive can women be most easily flattered their vanity tell a woman she is pretty or that she wears clothes well what
2: motive is most effective in harpooning men egotism with a capital E tell a man he has a strong Herculean body or that he is a great business tycoon and he will purr like a cat and smile like an opossum after that you know what happens are all men like that oh no Two out of every hundred have their egotism so thoroughly under control that even an expert flatterer couldn't get under their skins with a double-edged butcher knife. How does a cunning woman apply her art of flattery in attracting men? Great heavens, man, do I have to draw a picture
1: of her method for you? Have you no imagination? Oh yes, I have imagination enough, Your Majesty. But I'm thinking of the poor dupes of the world who need to understand the exact technique with which they may be flattered into the habit of drifting. Go on and tell us how a woman can harpoon rich and presumably smart men. This is a
2: devilish trick to play on women. But since you demand the information, I am helpless to withhold it. Women influence men through a technique consisting first, of ability to inject soft, cooing baby tones into their voices, and second, by closing their eyes into a half-closed position, which registers hypnotism in connection with the flattery of men. Is that all there is to the business of flattery? No, that is only the technique. Then comes the motive a woman uses as a lure. The type of woman you perhaps have in mind never sells a man herself or anything she can give him. Instead, she sells in his own egotism. Is that all that women use when they wish
1: to flatter men? That is the most effective thing they use. It works when sex appeal fails so i am to believe that big strong smart men can be wound up and manipulated through flattery just as if they were so much putty is that possible is it possible it is happening every minute of the day moreover
2: unless they are non-drifters the bigger they come the harder they fall when the expert flatterer moves in on them tell me of some of your other tricks with which you cause people to drift in life one of my most effective devices is failure the majority of people begin to drift as soon as they meet with opposition and not one out of ten thousand will
1: keep on trying after failing two or three times so it is your business to induce people to fail whenever you can is that correct you have it right failure breaks down one's
2: morale destroys self-confidence subdues enthusiasm dulls imagination and drives away definiteness of purpose without these qualities no one can permanently succeed in any undertaking The world has produced thousands of inventors with abilities superior to that of the late Thomas A. Edison. But these men have never been heard of. While the name of Edison will go marching on, because Edison converted failure into a stepping stone to achievement, while the others used it as an alibi for not producing
1: results. Is the capacity to surmount failure without being discouraged one of Henry Ford's chief assets?
2: Yes and this same quality is the chief asset of every man who attains outstanding success in any calling.
1: That statement covers lots of territory, Your Majesty. Do you not wish to modify it or tone it down a bit for the sake of accuracy?
2: No modification is necessary, because the claim is none too broad. Search accurately into the lives of men and women who achieve enduring success and you will find without exception that their success has been in exact proportion to the extent that they surmounted failure. The life of every successful person loudly acclaims that which every true philosopher knows. Every failure brings with it the seed of an equivalent success. But the seed will not germinate and grow under the influence of a drifter it springs to life only when it is in the hands of one who recognizes that most failures are only temporary defeat and who never under any circumstances accepts defeat as an excuse for drifting
1: if I understand you correctly you claim there is virtue in failure that does not seem reasonable why do you try to induce people to fail if there is virtue in failure
2: there is no inconsistency in my claims the appearance of inconsistency is due to your lack of understanding Failure is a virtue only when it does not lead one to quit trying and begin drifting. I induce as many people as I can to fail as often as possible, for the reason that not one out of ten thousand will keep on trying after failing two or three times. I am not concerned about the few who convert failures into stepping stones, because they belong to my opposition anyway. They are the non-drifters, and therefore they are beyond my reach. Your explanation clears up the matter.
1: Now, go ahead and tell me of some of your other tricks with which you allure people into drifting. One of my most effective tricks is known to you as propaganda.
2: This is the instrument of greatest value to me in setting people to murdering one another under the guise of war. The cleverness of this trick consists mainly of the subtlety with which I use it. I mix propaganda with the news of the world. I have it taught in public and private schools. I see that it finds its way into the pulpit. I color moving pictures with it. I see that it enters every home where there is a radio. I inject it into billboard, newspaper, and radio advertising. I spread it in every place of business where people work. I use it to fill the divorce courts, and I make it serve to destroy business and industry. It is my chief instrument for starting runs on banks. My propagandists cover the world so thoroughly that I can start epidemics of disease, turn loose the dogs of war, or throw business into a
1: panic at will. If you can do all that you claim with propaganda, it is little wonder that we have wars and business depressions. Give me a simple description of what you mean by the term propaganda. Just what is it, and how does it work? I wish to know particularly how you cause people to drift through the use of this devilish device.
2: Propaganda is any device, plan or method by which people can be influenced without knowing that they are being influenced or the source of the influence. Propaganda is used in business for the purpose of discouraging competition. Employers use it to gain advantage over their employees. The employees retaliate by using it to gain advantage over their employers. In fact it is used so universally and through such a smooth and beautiful streamlined technique that it looks harmless even when it is detected
1: i suppose some of your boys are now engaged in preparing the minds of the american people to drift into some form of dictatorship tell me how they work
2: Yes, millions of my boys are preparing americans to become hitlerized my best boys are working through politics and labor organization we intend to take over the country with ballots instead of bullets Americans are so sensitive they would never stand the shock of seeing their former government changed with the aid of machine guns and tank cars. So our propaganda boys are serving them a diet they will swallow by stirring up strife between employers and employees and turning the government against business and industry. When propaganda has done its work thoroughly, one of my boys will move in as dictator and the nine old men on your Supreme Court with their silly notions of the Constitution will move out. Everyone will be given a job or fed from the government treasury. When men's bellies are filled, they drift freely with one who does the filling. Hungry men get out from under control.
1: I have often wondered who invented the clever trick which you call propaganda. From what you tell me of its source and nature, I understand why it is so deadly only one as clever as your majesty could have invented such a device with which to dull the reason dethrone the will and lure men into drifting why do you not use your powerful propaganda to gain control of your victims instead of subduing them through fear and annihilating them through warfare what
2: is fear of the devil except propaganda you have not observed my technique very carefully or you would have seen that i am the world's greatest propagandist I never attain an end by direct, open means which I can achieve through subterfuge and subtlety. What do you suppose I am using when I plant negative ideas in the minds of men and gain control of them through what they believe to be their own ideas? What would you call that, except the cleverest of all forms of propaganda?
1: Surely you are not going to tell me that you destroy people through their own help without their realizing what you are doing. That is exactly what I wish you to understand moreover i will show you exactly how the trick is performed now we are getting somewhere exactly how do you convert human beings into propagandists and lure them into self-imprisonment give me the story with all its lurid details this is the most important part of your confession and i'm consumed with eagerness to gain control of your secret i can hardly blame you for stalling about answering my question because you know so well that your answer will snatch millions of innocent victims from your control you also know that your answer will protect other countless millions of yet unborn people from being victimized by you. It is little wonder you're hedging about answering.
2: Your deductions are correct. This part of my confession will do me more damage than
1: all the remainder of it. Stating your headache in a better way, this part of your confession will save more millions of people from your control than all the remainder of it. All I can say is that you have me in a hell of a situation. Now you shall know how the millions of your victims feel. Let's have it. I make my first entry into an individual's mind by bribing him. What do you use
2: as a bribe? I use many things. All of them pleasant things the individual covets. I use the same sort of bribes that individuals use when they bribe one another. That is, I use for bribes the things people most want. My best bribes are these. Love. The thirst for sex expression. Covetousness for money, the obsessive desire to gain something for nothing, gambling, vanity in women, egotism in men, desire to be the master of others, desire for intoxicants and narcotics, desire for self-expression through words and deeds, desire to imitate others, desire for the perpetuation of life after death, desire to be a hero or heroine, desire for physical food,
1: That is an imposing list of bribes, Your Majesty. Do you use others? Yes, plenty of them, but these are my favorites. Through some
2: combination of them, I can enter the mind of any human being at will at any age, from birth until death.
1: You mean that these bribes are the keys with which you can silently unlock the door to any mind you choose? That is exactly what I mean, and I can do it too. What happens when you enter the mind of a person who is not yet in the habit of drifting? but belongs in the 98% class as a potential drifter. I go to work immediately
2: to occupy as much of that person's mind as I can master. If the individual's greatest weakness is the desire for money, I begin to dangle coins before him, figuratively speaking. I intensify his desire and induce him to go after money. Then when he gets near it, I snatch it away from him. This is an old trick of mine. After the trick has been repeated a few times, the poor fellow gives in and quits. Then I take over a little more space in his mind and fill it with the fear of poverty. That is one of my best mind fillers.
1: Yes, I admit your method is very clever, but what happens if the victim fools you and gets his hands on a lot of money? You don't fill his mind with the fear of poverty then, do you?
2: No, I don't. I take over the space by filling it with something which serves my purpose just as well. If the victim converts his desire for money into large sums, I start overfeeding him with the things he can buy with it. For example, I cause him to stuff himself with rich foods. This slows down his thinking capacity, endangers his heart, and starts him on the road to drifting. Then I pester him with intestinal poisoning through the surplus food he eats. That also slows down his thinking and gives him a nasty disposition.
1: What if the victim is not a glutton? What other follies can you induce him to pick up that lead to drifting? If the victim is a
2: male, I can usually snare him through his sex appetite. Overindulgence in sex starts more men to drifting toward failure than all other causes combined. So food and sex are two of your surefire baits, is that correct? Yes. With these two lures, I can take over a majority of my victims. And then there is the desire for money.
1: I'm beginning to think that wealth is more dangerous than poverty, if your story is to be believed. That altogether depends on who has the wealth and how it was acquired. What has the manner in which money is acquired to do with its being a blessing or a curse? Everything.
2: If you don't believe me, take a look at those who acquire a large amount of money quickly, without time to get wisdom along with it, and observe how they use it. Why do you suppose rich men's sons seldom equal the achievements of their fathers? I'll tell you why. It is because they have been deprived of the self-discipline which comes from being forced to work. Look into the records of moving picture stars or athletes who suddenly find themselves in possession of big money and hero worship and praise from the public. Observe how quickly I move in and take them over in many cases. Mainly through sex, gambling, food and liquor. With these I catch and control the biggest and the best of people as soon as they get their hands on big money.
1: What about those who acquire money slowly by rendering some form of useful service? Are they easily snared, too?
2: Oh, I get them all right, but I generally have to change my bait. Some of them want one thing, and others want something else. Where my purpose is best served, I see to it that they get what they want most. But I manage to wrap in the package something they don't want. The thing I give them is the definite thing that makes them drifters. Do you see how I
1: work? And very clever work it is. You lure people on through their natural desires, but you slip your deadly poison into the object of those desires wherever you can. Now you are catching on. You see, I play both ends against the middle, so to speak. From all you say, I infer that you cannot induce a non-drifter to help you gain control of his mind by baiting him with your bribes. Is that correct? That is exactly correct. I can, and I do, interest
2: non-drifters in my bribes. Because I use, for the purpose of bribery, the things all people naturally desire. But the non-drifter resembles a fish that steals the bait from your hook, but refuses to take the hook. The non-drifter takes from life whatever he wants, but he takes it on his own terms. The drifter takes whatever he can get, but he takes what he gets on my terms. Stating the matter in another way. The non-drifter borrows money from a legitimate banker if he wants it and pays a legitimate rate of interest. The drifter goes to the pawn shop, hawks his watch,
1: and pays a suicidal rate of interest for his money. So I draw from your claims the conclusion that your hand is mixed up somehow in all of people's troubles and miseries, even though your presence may not be visible. My unwilling workers are often
2: my best workers. You see, My unwilling workers are those whom I cannot control with some combination of bribes. People whom I have to master by fear or through some form of misfortune. They do not wish to serve me, but they cannot avoid it because they
1: are eternally bound to me by the habit of drifting. Now I'm beginning to better understand your technique. You bribe your victims through their natural desires and lead them astray while you induce them to become drifters if they respond to your lure. If they refuse to respond, You plant the seed of fear in their minds, or trap them through some form of misfortune and hogtie them while they are down. Is that your method? That is exactly the way I work. Clever, don't you think? Which do you prefer to serve as your propagandists, the
2: young or the old? The young, of course. They can be influenced by most bribes more easily
1: than people of mature judgment. Moreover, they have longer to remain in my service. Your Majesty has given me a clear description of drifting. Tell me what must be done to ensure against the habit of drifting. I want a complete formula that anyone can use.
2: Protection against drifting lies within easy reach of every human being who has a normal body and a sound mind. The self-defense can be applied through these simple methods. 1. Do your own thinking on all occasions. The fact that human beings are given complete control over nothing save the power to think their own thoughts is laden with significance. Two decide definitely what you want from life then create a plan for attaining it and be willing to sacrifice everything else if necessary rather than accept permanent defeat three analyze temporary defeat no matter of what nature or cause and extract from it the seed of an equivalent advantage four be willing to render useful service equivalent to the value of all material things you demand of life and render the service first Five, recognize that your brain is a receiving set that can be attuned to receive communications from the universal storehouse of infinite intelligence to help you transmute your desires into their physical equivalent. Six, recognize that your greatest asset is time. The only thing except the power of thought which you own outright and the one thing which can be shaped into whatever material things you want. Budget your time so none of it is wasted. Seven recognize the truth that fear generally is a filler with which the devil occupies the unused portion of your mind that it is only a state of mind which you can control by filling the space it occupies with faith in your ability to make life provide you with whatever you demand of it 8. when you pray do not beg demand what you want and insist upon getting exactly that with no substitutes 9 Recognize that life is a cruel taskmaster and that either you master it or it masters you There is no halfway or compromising point. Never accept from life anything you do not want If that which you do not want is temporarily forced upon you, you can refuse in your own mind to accept it And it will make way for the thing you do want 10 Lastly Remember that your dominating thoughts attract, through a definite law of nature, by the shortest and most convenient route, their physical counterpart. Be careful what thoughts you dwell upon.
1: That list looks imposing. Give me a simple formula, combining all the ten points. If you had to combine all ten in one, what would it be? Be definite in
2: everything you do and never leave unfinished thoughts in the mind form the habit of reaching
1: definite decisions on all subjects can the habit of drifting be broken or does it become permanent once it has been formed
2: the habit can be broken if the victim has enough willpower providing it is done in time there is a point beyond which the habit can never be broken beyond that point the victim is mine he resembles a fly that has been caught in a spider's web he may struggle but he cannot get out each move he makes entangles him more securely The web in which I entangle my victims permanently is a law of nature not yet isolated by, or understood by, men of science.
1: What is this mysterious law through which you take permanent control of people's bodies, even before you take over their souls? The whole world will want to know more about this law and how it operates.
2: It will be hard to describe the law so you will understand it. But you may call it hypnotic rhythm. It is the same law through which people can be hypnotized.
1: So you have the power to use the laws of nature as a web in which you bind your victims in eternal control. Is that your claim? That is not only my claim, it is the truth. I take over their minds and
2: bodies even before they die whenever I can lure them or frighten them into hypnotic rhythm.
1: What is hypnotic rhythm? How do you use it to gain permanent mastery over human beings?
2: I will have to go back into time and space and give you a brief elementary description of how nature uses hypnotic rhythm otherwise you will not be able to understand my description of how i use this universal law to control human beings
1: go ahead but keep your story confined to simple illustrations which come within the range of my own experience and knowledge of natural laws very well i shall do my best
2: you of course know that nature maintains a perfect balance between all the elements and all the energy in the universe You can see that the stars and the planets move with perfect precision, each one keeping its own place in time and space. You can see that the seasons of the year come and go with perfect regularity. You can see that an oak tree grows from an acorn, and a pine grows from the seed of its ancestor. An acorn never produces a pine, and a pine seed never produces an oak. These are simple things which anyone can understand, what one cannot see is the universal law through which nature maintains perfect balance throughout the myriad of universes you earthbound caught a fragmentary glimpse of this great universal law when newton discovered that it holds your earth in its position and causes all material objects to be attracted toward the center of the earth he called the law gravitation but he did not go far enough in his study of the law If he had, he would have discovered that the same law which holds your earth in position and helps nature maintain a perfect balance over the four dimensions in which all matter and energy are contained is the web in which I entangle and control the minds of human beings.
1: Tell me more of this astounding law of hypnotic rhythm.
2: As I have already stated, there is a universal form of energy with which nature keeps a perfect balance between all matter and energy. She makes specialized use of this universal building material by breaking it up into different wavelengths. The breaking up process is carried on through habit. You will better understand what I'm trying to convey if I compare it with the method by which one learns to play music. At first, the notes are memorized in the mind. Then they are related to one another through melody and rhythm. By repetition, the melody and rhythm become fixed in the mind observe how relentlessly the musician must repeat a tune before he masters it through repetition the musical notes blend and then you have music any impulse of thought that the mind repeats over and over through habit forms an organized rhythm undesirable habits can be broken they must be broken before they assume the proportions of rhythm are you following me yes well to continue rhythm is the last stage of habit Any thought or physical movement which is repeated over and over through the principle of habit finally reaches the proportion of rhythm. Then the habit cannot be broken because nature takes it over and makes it permanent. It is something like a whirlpool in water. An object may keep floating indefinitely unless it is caught in a whirlpool. Then it is carried round and round but it cannot escape. The energy with which people think may be compared with water in a river.
1: So this is the way in which you take control of the minds of people, is it? Yes. All I have to do
2: to gain control over any mind is to induce its owner
1: to drift. Am I to understand that the habit of drifting is the major danger through which people lose their prerogative or privilege of thinking their own thoughts and shaping their own earthly destinations? That and much more. Drifting is also the habit through which I take over their souls after
2: they give up their physical bodies
1: then the only way a human being can be saved from eternal annihilation is by maintaining control over his own mind while he is on this earth is that true you have stated the truth perfectly those who control and
2: use their minds escape my web i get all the others as naturally as the sun sets in the west
1: is that all there is to the business of being saved from eternal annihilation doesn't what you call your opposition have anything to do with saving people
2: I can see that you do think very deeply. My opposition, the power you earthbound call God, has everything to do with the salvation of people from eternal annihilation. And for that reason, it is my opposition who provides every human being with the privilege of using his own mind. If you use that power by maintaining control over your own mind, you become a part of it when you give up your physical body. If you neglect to use it, then I have the privilege of taking advantage of the neglect through the Law of Hypnotic Rhythm.
1: How much of a person do you take over when you gain control of him? Everything that is left after he ceases to control and use his own mind. In other words, when you gain control of a person, you take over all there is of his individuality up to the time that he quits using his own mind. Is that correct? That is how I operate. What do you do with people whom you control before death? of what good are they to you while they live? I use them, or what is
2: left of them after I take charge, as propagandists to help me prepare the minds of others
1: to drift. You not only fool people into destroying their power to control their own minds, but you use them to help you trap others? Yes. I let no opportunity get away from me. Let us come back to the subject of hypnotic rhythm. Tell me more of how this law works. Show me how you use individuals to help you gain control over others. I want to know something of the most effective way you use hypnotic rhythm. Oh, that is easy. The thing I like best is to fill
2: the minds of people with fear. Once I fill one's mind with fear, I have little trouble causing him to drift until I have entangled him in the web of hypnotic rhythm.
1: What human fear best serves your purpose? The fear of death. Why is the fear of death your favorite
2: weapon? Because no one knows, and by the very nature of the laws of the universe, no one can prove definitely what happens after death. This uncertainty frightens people out of their wits. People who give over their minds to fear any sort of fear, neglect to use their minds and begin to drift. Eventually they drift into the whirlpool of hypnotic rhythm, from which they may never escape
1: then you do not mind what religious leaders think or say of you when they speak of death not as long as they say something if the churches should stop talking about me my
2: cause would receive a severe setback every attack made against me fixes the fear of me in the minds of all who are influenced by it you see opposition is the thing that keeps some people from drifting providing they do not yield to it
1: Since you claim the Church's help instead of hindering your cause, tell me what would give you cause to worry. My only worry is that someday a real thinker may appear on Earth. What would happen if a thinker did appear? You ask me what would happen?
2: I'll tell you what would happen. People would learn the greatest of all truths. That the time they spend in fearing something would, if reversed, give them all they want in the material world and save them from me after death isn't that
1: worth thinking about what is keeping such a thinker from appearing in the world
2: fear of criticism it may interest you to know that the fear of criticism is the only effective weapon I have with which to whip you if you were not afraid to publish this confession after you wring it from me I would lose my earthly kingdom
1: and if I did surprise you and publish it how long would it be until you lost your kingdom Just long enough for one generation of children to grow into understanding.
2: You cannot take the adults from me. I have them too securely sewed up. But if you published this confession, it would be sufficient to keep me from gaining control of the yet unborn, and those who have not yet reached the age of reason. You wouldn't dare
1: publish what I have told you about the religious leaders. They would crucify you. I thought the savage practice of crucifixion went out of style 2,000 years ago.
2: I don't mean crucifixion on a cross. I mean social and financial crucifixion. Your income would be shut off. You would become a social outcast. Religious leaders and their
1: followers alike would treat you with scorn. Suppose I should choose to throw in my lot with the select few who make a pretense of using their own minds rather than fear the masses who do not. The masses of whom you claim 98%. If you have courage enough to do this, you will crimp my style. Why do you lay claim to no scientists? Don't you like scientists? Oh yes, I like all people well enough, but true scientists are out of my reach.
2: Why? Because they think for themselves and spend their time studying natural laws. They deal with cause and effect. They deal with facts wherever they find them. But do not make the mistake of believing scientists have no religion. They have a very definite religion. What is their religion? The religion of truth. The religion of natural law. If the world ever produces an accurate thinker with ability to fathom the deeply buried secret of life and death, You can be sure that science
1: will be responsible for the catastrophe. Catastrophe to whom? To me, of course. Let's get back to the subject of hypnotic rhythm. I want to know more about it. Is it something like the principle through which people can hypnotize one another? It is precisely the same thing. I have already told you so. Why do you repeat your questions? Uh, That is an old worldly custom of mine, Your Majesty. For your enlightenment, I will tell you, I am forcing you to repeat many of your statements for the sake of emphasis. I'm also trying to see if I can catch you in a lie. Don't dodge the issue. Get back to hypnotic rhythm and tell me all you know about it. Am I a victim of it?
2: Not now. But you barely missed falling into my web. You drifted toward the whirlpool of hypnotic rhythm until you discovered how to force me into making this confession. Then I lost control of you.
1: How interesting. You are not trying to recapture me through flattery, are you? That would be the best bribe I could offer you. It is the bribe I used on you
2: effectively before you got the upper hand of me. With what did you flatter me? With many things. Chief among them sex and the desire for self-expression. What affected your bribes have on me They caused you to neglect your major purpose in life and started you
1: to drifting. Was that all you did to me through your bribes? That was plenty. But I am back on the track and out of your reach now, am I not? Yes, you are temporarily out of my reach because you are not drifting. What broke your spell over me and released me from the habit of drifting?
2: My answer may humiliate you. Do you want to hear
1: it? Go ahead and give it to me, your majesty. I wish to learn how much truth I can stand. When you found a great love in the woman of your choice, I lost my grip on you. So you are going to accuse me of hiding behind a woman's skirts, are you? No, not hiding. I wouldn't put it that way.
2: I would say you have learned how to give yourself a solid background with the embellishment of a woman's mind. The
1: woman's skirt has nothing to do with it, then.
2: No, but her brain does. When you and your wife began to combine your two brains through your habit of masterminding every day, you've stumbled upon the secret power with which you forced me into this confession.
1: Is that the truth, or are you trying to flatter me again?
2: I could flatter you if I had you alone, but I cannot flatter you while you have the
1: use of your wife's mind. I'm beginning to catch on to something important. I'm beginning to understand what was meant by the writer of that passage in the Bible which says substantially when two or more meet together and ask for anything in my name it shall be granted it is true then that two minds are better than one it is not only true
2: it is necessary before anyone can continuously contact the great storehouse of infinite intelligence wherein is stored all that is all that ever was and all that can ever be
1: is there such a storehouse
2: if there had not been you would not could not now be humiliating me with this silly forced confession
1: isn't it dangerous to give this sort of information to the world sure it is dangerous to me if I were you I would not give it out let us get back now to the technique through which you fasten on your victims the habit of drifting what is the very first step a drifter must take to break the habit a burning desire to break it
2: You of course know that no one can be hypnotized by another person without his willingness to be hypnotized. Neither can nature place one under the spell of hypnotic rhythm without his willingness to be hypnotized. The willingness may assume the form of indifference toward life generally, lack of ambition, fear, lack of definiteness of purpose and many other forms. Nature does not need one's consent in order to place him under the spell of hypnotic rhythm it needs only to find him off guard through any form of neglect to use his own mind remember this whatever you have you use it or you lose it all successful attempts to break the habit of drifting must be done before nature makes the habit permanent
1: through hypnotic rhythm as i understand you hypnotic rhythm is a natural law through which nature fixes the vibration of all environments is that true
2: yes Nature uses hypnotic rhythm to make one's dominating thoughts and one's thought habits permanent. That is why poverty is a disease. Nature makes it so by fixing permanently the thought habits of all who accept poverty as an unavoidable circumstance. Through this same law of hypnotic rhythm, nature will also fix permanently positive thoughts of opulence and prosperity. Perhaps you will better understand the working principle of hypnotic rhythm. If I tell you its nature is to fix permanently all habits, whether they are mental or physical, if your mind fears poverty, your mind will attract poverty. If your mind demands opulence and expects it, your mind will attract the physical and financial equivalents of opulence. This is in accordance with an immutable law of nature
1: did the writer of that sentence in the bible whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap have in mind this law of nature he could have nothing else in mind the statement is true you can see evidence of its truth in all human relationships and that is why the man who forms the habit of drifting through life must accept whatever life hands him is that correct
2: that is absolutely correct life pays the drifter its own price on its own terms The non-drifter makes life pay on his own terms. Doesn't the question of morals enter into what one gets from life? To be sure, but only for the reason that one's morals have an influence on one's thoughts. No one can collect what he wants from life merely by being good, if that is what you want to know.
1: No, I guess not. I see what you mean. We are all where we are and what we are because of our own deeds. No, not exactly. You are where you are and
2: what you are because of your thoughts and your deeds. Then there is no such reality as luck, is there? Emphatically, no. Circumstances which people do not understand are classified under the heading of luck. Back of every reality is a cause. Often the cause is so far removed from the effect that the circumstance can be explained only by attributing it to the operation of luck. Nature knows no such law as luck. It is a man-made hypothesis with which he explains away things he does not understand. The terms luck and miracle are twin sisters. Neither of them has any real existence except in the imaginations of people. Both are used to explain that which people do not understand. Remember this. Everything having a real existence is capable of proof. Keep this one truth in mind and you will become a sounder thinker.
1: Which is more important, one's thoughts or one's deeds? All deeds follow thoughts. There can be no
2: deeds without their having first been patterned in thought. Moreover, all thoughts have a tendency to clothe themselves in their physical counterpart. One's dominating thoughts, that is, the thoughts one mixes with the emotions, desire, hope, faith, fear, hate, greed, enthusiasm. Not only have a tendency to clothe
1: themselves in their physical equivalent, but they are bound to do so. That reminds me to ask you to tell me more about yourself. Where, in addition to the minds of people, do you dwell and operate? I operate wherever there is something I can control and
2: appropriate. I have already told you I am the negative portion of the electron of matter. I am the explosion in lightning. I am the pain in disease and physical suffering. I am the unseen general in warfare. I am the unknown commissioner of poverty and famine. I am the executioner extraordinary at death. I am the inspirer of lust after the flesh. I am the creator of jealousy and envy and greed. I am the instigator of fear. I am the genius who converts the achievements of men of science into instruments of death. I am the destroyer of harmony in all manner of human relationships. I am the antithesis of justice. I am the driving force in all immorality. I am the stalemate of all good. I am anxiety, suspense, superstition, and insanity. I am the destroyer of hope and faith. I am the inspirer of destructive gossip and scandal. I am the discourager of free and independent thought. In brief, I am the creator of all forms of human misery, the instigator of discouragement and disappointment. And
1: you do not call that cold and cruel?
2: I call that definite and dependable. The world depression broke up the habits of men everywhere and redistributed the sources of opportunity in all walks of life on an unprecedented scale. The drifter's pet alibi, with which he tries to explain away his undesirable position, is his cry that the world has run dry of opportunities. Non-drifters do not wait for opportunity to be placed in their way. They create opportunity to fit their desires and demands of life.
1: Are non-drifters smart enough to avoid the influence of hypnotic rhythm?
2: No one is smart enough to dodge the influence of hypnotic rhythm. One could just as easily avoid the influence of the law of gravity. The law of hypnotic rhythm fixes permanently the dominating thoughts of men, whether they be drifters or non-drifters. There is no reason why a non-drifter would want to avoid the influence of hypnotic rhythm, because that law is favorable to him. It helps him convert his dominating aims, plans and purposes into their physical replicas. It fixes his habits of thought and makes them permanent.
1: Only the drifter would wish to dodge the influence of hypnotic rhythm. For the better portion of my adult life, I've been a drifter. How did I manage to escape being swept into the whirlpool of hypnotic rhythm? You haven't escaped. The
2: major portion of your dominating thoughts and desires since you reached adulthood has been a well-defined, definite desire to understand all the potentialities of the mind. You may have drifted on thoughts of lesser importance, but you did not drift in connection with this desire. Because you did not drift, you are now recording a document which gives you
1: exactly what your dominating thoughts demanded of life. Why doesn't your opposition use hypnotic rhythm to make permanent one's higher thoughts and nobler deeds? Why does your opposition permit you to use this stupendous force as a means of entangling people in a web of evil, spun by their own thoughts and deeds? Why does your opposition not outwit you by binding people with thoughts which build and lift them above your influence? The law
2: of hypnotic rhythm is available to all who will use it. I make use of it more effectively than does my opposition because I offer people more attractive bribes to think my sort of
1: thoughts and indulge in my sort of deeds. In other words, you control people by making negative thinking and destructive deeds pleasing to them. Is that correct? That is the idea exactly. I've often wondered why your opposition, what we Earthbound call God, does not annihilate you. Can you tell me why? Because the power is as much mine as his.
2: It is as available to me as to him. That is what I have been trying to get over to you. The highest power in the universe can be used for constructive purposes, through what you call God. Or it can be used for negative purposes, through what you call the devil. And something more important still, it can be used by any human being just as effectively
1: as by God or the devil. You make a far-reaching claim. Can you prove your claim?
2: Yes, but it would be better if you proved
1: it for yourself.
2: The devil's word is not worth much among your earthbound sinners neither is god's word you fear the devil and refuse to trust your god therefore you have but one source available through which you may appropriate the benefits of universal power and that is by trusting and using your own power of thought this is the direct road to the universal storehouse of infinite intelligence there is no other road available to
1: any human being Why have we Earthbound not found the road to Infinite Intelligence sooner? Because I have intercepted you and led you off the path by planting in your
2: minds thoughts which destroy your power to use your minds constructively. I have made it attractive to you to use the power of Infinite Intelligence to attain negative ends through greed, avarice, lust, envy and hatred. Remember, your mind attracts that which your mind dwells upon. To divert you away from my opposition, I had only to feed you on thoughts helpful to my cause.
1: If I understand what you are saying, you are admitting that no human being need fear the devil or worry about how to flatter God.
2: That is it precisely. This admission may put a crimp in my style, but I have the satisfaction of knowing it may also slow down my opposition by sending people direct to the source of all
1: power. In other words, if you cannot control people through negative bribes or fear, then you wish to kick over the entire apple cart and show people how to go around God. Are you by any chance in politics too? Your technique seems frightfully familiar. (laughs) Am I in politics? If
2: I am not in politics, who do you believe starts depressions and forces people into wars? Surely you would not lay this at the door of my opposition. As I have already told you, I have allies in all walks of life to help me in connection with all human
1: relationships why don't you take over the churches and use them outright in your cause? Do you think I am a fool? Who would keep alive the fear of the devil if I subdued the
2: churches? Who would serve as a decoy to attract the attention of people while I manipulate their minds if I did not have some agency through which to sow the seeds of fear and doubt? The cleverest thing I do is to use the allies of my opposition to keep the fear of hell burning in the
1: minds of people. As long as people fear something, no matter what, I will keep a grip on them. I'm beginning to see your scheme. You use the churches to plant the seed of fear and uncertainty and indefiniteness in the minds of people. These negative states of mind cause people to form the habit of drifting. This habit crystallizes into permanency through the law of hypnotic rhythm. Then the victim is helpless to help himself, is that right? Hypnotic rhythm then is something to be watched and respected.
2: A better way of stating the truth is that hypnotic rhythm is something to be studied understood and voluntarily applied to attain definite desired ends
1: if the force of hypnotic rhythm is not voluntarily applied to attain definite ends may it be a great danger
2: yes and for the reason that it operates automatically if it is not consciously applied to attain a desired end it can and it will operate to attain undesired ends take the simple illustration of climate for example Anyone can see and understand that nature forces every living thing and every element of matter to adjust itself to her climates. In the tropics she creates trees which bear fruit and reproduce themselves. She forces the trees to adjust themselves to her scorching sun. She forces them to put out leaves suitable for protection against the rays of the sun. These same trees could not survive if removed to the arctic regions where nature has established an entirely different climate. In the colder climate, she creates trees which are adjusted to survive and to reproduce themselves, but they could not survive if transplanted in the tropical regions. In the same manner, nature clothes her animals, giving to those in each different climate a covering suited to their comfort and survival in that climate. In a similar manner, nature forces upon the minds of men the influences of their environment, which are stronger than the individual's own thoughts children are forced to take on the nature of all influences of those around them unless their own thoughts are stronger than the influences nature sets up a definite rhythm for every environment and everything within the range of that rhythm is forced to conform to it man alone has the power to establish his own rhythm of thought providing he exercises this privilege before hypnotic rhythm has forced upon him the influences of his environment every home Every place of business, every town and village, and every street and community center has its own definite discernible rhythm. If you wish to know what a difference there is in the rhythms of streets, take a walk up Fifth Avenue in New York, and then down a street in the slums. All forms of rhythm become permanent with time. Does
1: each individual have his own rhythm of thought?
2: Yes. That is precisely the major difference between individuals. The person who thinks in terms of power, success, opulence, sets up a rhythm which attracts these desirable possessions. The person who thinks in terms of misery, failure, defeat, discouragement and poverty, attracts these undesirable influences. This explains why both success and failure are the result of habit. Habit establishes one's rhythm of thought, and that rhythm attracts the object of one's dominating thoughts.
1: Hypnotic rhythm is something resembling a magnet which attracts things for which it has a magnetic affinity. Is that correct? Yes, that is
2: correct. That is why the poverty-stricken herd themselves into the same communities. It explains that old saying, misery loves company. It also explains why people who begin to succeed in any undertaking find that success multiplies with less effort as time goes on. All successful people use hypnotic rhythm either consciously or unconsciously by expecting and demanding success. The demand becomes a habit, hypnotic rhythm takes over the habit, and the law of harmonious attraction translates it into its physical equivalent.
1: In other words, if I know what I want from life, demand it and back my demand by a willingness to pay life's price for what I want and refuse to accept any substitutes, the law of hypnotic rhythm takes over my desire and helps by natural and logical means to transmute it into its physical counterpart. Is that true? That describes the way the law works. Science has established irrefutable evidence that people are what they are because of heredity and environment. They bring over with them at birth a combination of all the physical qualities of all their numberless ancestors. After they arrive here, They reach the age of self-consciousness, and from there on, they shape their own personalities and more or less fix their own earthly destinations as the result of the environmental influences to which they are subjected, especially the influences which control them during early childhood. These two facts have been so well established, there's no room for any intelligent person to question them. How can hypnotic rhythm change the nature of a physical body, which is a combination of thousands of ancestors who have lived and died before one is born? How can hypnotic rhythm change the influence of one's environment? People who are born in poverty and ignorance have a strong tendency to remain poverty-stricken and ignorant all through life. What, if anything, can hypnotic rhythm do about this?
2: Hypnotic rhythm cannot change the nature of the physical body one inherits at birth. But it can and it does modify change, control and make permanent one's environmental
1: influences. If I understand what you mean, a human being is forced by nature to take on and become a part of the environment he chooses or the environment that may be forced upon him? That is correct. But there are ways and means by which an individual may resist
2: the influences of an environment he does not wish to accept and also a method of procedure by which one may reverse the application of hypnotic rhythm from negative to positive ends
1: do you mean that there is a definite method by which hypnotic rhythm can be made to serve instead of destroy one i mean just that tell me how this astounding end may be attained
2: for my description to be of any practical value it will be necessarily lengthy because it will have to cover seven principles of psychology which must be understood and applied by all who use hypnotic rhythm to aid them in forcing life to yield that
1: which they want then break your description into seven parts each giving a detailed analysis of one of the seven principles with simple instructions for its practical application Your majesty will now proceed to unfold the secrets of the seven principles through which human beings may force life to provide them with spiritual mental and physical freedom do not be sparing in your description of these principles i want a complete illustration of how the principles may be used by anyone who chooses to use them tell us all you know about the principle of definiteness of purpose
2: if you go through with this mad idea of publishing my confession You will open the gates of hell and turn loose all the precious souls I have collected back down through the ages. You will deprive me of souls yet unborn. You will release from my bondage millions now living. Stop, I beg of you.
1: Open up. Let's hear what you have to say about the principle of definiteness of purpose. You are pouring water
2: on the fires of hell, but the responsibility is yours, not mine. I may as well tell you that any human being who can be definite in his aims and plans can make life hand over
1: whatever is wanted. That is a broad claim, your majesty. Do you wish to tone it down a bit? Tone it down? No, I wish to tone it up. When you hear
2: what I now have to say, you will understand why the principle of definiteness is so important. My opposition uses a clever little trick to cheat me of my control over people the opposition knows that definiteness of purpose closes the door of one's mind so tightly against me that I cannot break through unless I can induce one to form the habit of drifting.
1: Why doesn't your opposition give your secret to all people by telling them to avoid you through definiteness of purpose? You've already admitted that two out of every hundred people belong to your opposition. Because I am
2: more clever than my opposition. I draw people away from definiteness with my promises. You see, I control more people than my opposition because I am a better salesman and a better showman.
1: I attract people by feeding them liberally of the thought habits in which they like to indulge. Is definiteness of purpose something with which one must be born or may it be acquired? Everyone, as I have told you before, is born with the privilege of
2: being definite But 98 out of every 100 people lose this privilege by sleeping on it. The privilege of definiteness can be maintained only by adopting it as a policy by
1: which one is guided in all the affairs of life. Oh, I see. One takes advantage of the principle of definiteness just as one may build a strong physical body through constant systematic use. Is that it? You have stated the truth clearly and accurately. Now, I think we are getting somewhere, Your Majesty. We have at long last found a starting point from which all who become self-determining in life must take off. We have discovered from your astounding confession that your greatest asset is man's lack of caution, which enables you to lead him into the jungle of indefiniteness through simple bribes. We have learned beyond the question of doubt that anyone who adopts definiteness of purpose as a policy and uses it in all of his daily experiences cannot be induced to form the habit of drifting. Without the aid of the drifting habit, you are powerless to attract people through promises. Is this correct? I couldn't have stated the truth more clearly myself. Go ahead now and describe how people neglect their privilege of being free and self-determining through indefiniteness and drifting.
2: I have already made brief reference to this principle, but I will now go into more minute details as to how the principle works. I shall have to begin at the time of birth. When a child is born, it brings with it nothing but a physical body representing the evolutionary results of millions of years of ancestry. Its mind is a total blank. When the child reaches the age of consciousness and begins to recognize the objects of its surroundings, it begins also to imitate others. Imitation becomes a fixed habit. Naturally, the child imitates, first of all, its parents. Then it begins to imitate its other relatives and daily associates, including its religious instructors and school teachers. The imitation extends not merely to physical expression, but also to thought expression. If a child's parents fear me and express that fear within range of the child's hearing, the child picks up the fear through the habit of imitation and stores it away as part of its subconscious stock of beliefs. If the child's religious instructor expresses any form of fear of me, and they all do in one form or another, that fear is added to the similar fear passed to the child by its parents and the two forms of negative limitation are stored away in the subconscious mind to be drawn upon and used by me later in life in a similar way the child learns by imitation to limit its power of thought by filling its mind with envy hatred, greed, lust, revenge and all the other negative impulses of thought which destroy all possibility of definiteness meanwhile I move in and induce the child to drift until I bind its mind through hypnotic rhythm.
1: Am I to understand from your remarks that you have to gain control of people while they are very young or lose your opportunity at them altogether? I prefer
2: to claim them before they come into possession of their own mind. Once any person learns the power of his own thoughts, he becomes positive and difficult to subdue. As a matter of fact, I cannot control any human being who discovers and uses the principle of definiteness.
1: Is the habit of definiteness a permanent protection against your control? No, not by any means. Definiteness
2: closes the door of one's mind to me only as long as that person follows the principle as a matter of policy. Once any person hesitates, procrastinates or becomes indefinite
1: about anything, he is just one step removed from my control. What has definiteness to do with one's material circumstances? I want to know if one may acquire power through definiteness of purpose without inviting destruction through the law of compensation.
2: Your question limits my illustrations because there are so few people in the world who understand and there have been so few in the past who understood how to use definiteness of purpose without attracting to themselves the negative application of the law of compensation. Here you are forcing me to disclose one of my most prized tricks. I am bound to tell you that I eventually reclaim for my cause all who escape me temporarily through definiteness of purpose. The reclamation is made by filling the mind with greed for power and the love of egotistical expression until the individual falls into the habit of violating the rights
1: of others. Then I step in with the law of compensation and reclaim my victim. So I see from your admission that definiteness of purpose may be dangerous in proportion to its possibility as a power. Is that true?
2: Yes. And what is more important, every principle of good carries with it the seed of an equivalent danger.
1: That is hard to believe. What danger, for example, can there be in the habit of love of truth? The danger lies in the word habit. All habits,
2: save only that of the love of definiteness of purpose, may lead to the habit of drifting. Love for truth, unless it assumes the proportion of definite pursuit of truth, may become similar to all other good intentions. You know, of course, what I do with good intentions. Is love for one's relatives also dangerous? The love for anything or anyone, save only the love of definiteness of purpose, may become dangerous. Love is a state of mind, which beclouds reason, saps willpower, and blinds one to facts and truth. Everyone who becomes self-determining and gains spiritual freedom to think his own thoughts must examine carefully every emotion that seems even remotely related to love. You may be surprised to know that love is one of my most effective baits. With it, I lead into the habit of drifting those whom I could attract with nothing else. That is why I have placed it at the head of my list of bribes. Show me what any person loves most and I will have my cue as to how that person can be induced to drift until I bind him with hypnotic rhythm. Love and fear combine to give me the most effective weapons with which I induce people to drift. One is as helpful to me as the other. Both have the effect of causing people to neglect to develop definiteness in the use of their own minds. Give me control over a person's fears and tell me what he loves most and you may as well mark that person down as my slave. Both love and fear are emotional forces of such stupendous potency that either may completely set aside the power of will and the power of reason. Without will and reason there is nothing left to support
1: definiteness of purpose. But your majesty, life would not be worth living if people never felt the emotion of love. (sighs) You are right as far as your
2: reasoning goes, but you neglected to add that love should be under one's definite control at all times. Of course, love is a desirable state of mind, but it also is a palliative, which may be used to limit or destroy reason and willpower both of which rate above love in importance to human beings who want
1: freedom and self-determination. I understand from what you say that people who gain power must harden their emotions, master fear, and subdue love. Is that correct? People
2: who gain and maintain power must become definite in all their thoughts and all their deeds. If that is what you call hard, then they must become hard
1: let us look into the sources of advantage of definiteness in the everyday affairs of life which is more apt to succeed a weak plan applied with definiteness or a sound strong plan indefinitely applied weak plans have a way of becoming strong if definitely applied you mean that any plan definitely put into continuous action in pursuit of a definite purpose may be successful even if it is not the best plan
2: yes i mean just that Definiteness of purpose plus definiteness of plan by which the purpose is to be achieved generally succeeds, no matter how weak the plan may be. The major difference between a sound and an unsound plan is that the sound plan, if definitely applied, may be carried out more quickly than an
1: unsound plan. In other words, if one cannot be always right, one can and should be always definite. Is that what you were trying to get across to me? That is the idea.
2: People who are definite in both their plans and their purposes never accept temporary defeat as being more than an urge to greater effort. You can see for yourself that
1: this sort of policy is bound to win if it is followed with definiteness. Can a person who moves with definiteness of both plan and purpose be always sure of success? No.
2: The best of plans sometimes misfire. But the person who moves with definiteness recognizes the difference between temporary defeat and failure. When plans fail, he substitutes others, but he does not change his purpose. He perseveres. Eventually, he finds a plan that succeeds.
1: Will a plan based upon immoral or unjust ends succeed as quickly as one motivated by a keen sense of justice and morality?
2: Through the operation of the law of compensation, everyone reaps that which he sows. Plans based on unjust or immoral motives may bring temporary success. But enduring success must take into consideration the fourth dimension, time. Time is the enemy of immorality and injustice. It is the friend of justice and morality. Failure to recognize this fact has been responsible for the crime wave among the youths of the world. The youthful, inexperienced mind is apt to mistake temporary success for permanency. The youth often makes the mistake of coveting the temporary gains of immoral, unjust plans but neglects to look ahead and observe the penalties which follow
1: as definitely as night follows day. This is pretty deep stuff, your majesty. Let us get back to the discussion of lighter and more concrete subjects that are likely to interest the majority of people i'm interested in discussing the things that make people happy and miserable rich and poor sick and healthy in brief i'm interested in everything that can be used by human beings to make life pay satisfactory dividends in return for the effort that one puts into the business of living very well let us be definite you have my idea your majesty has a tendency to stray off into abstract details which most people can neither understand nor use in the solution of their problems Could that, by any chance, be a definite plan of yours to answer my questions with indefinite answers? If that is your plan, it is a slick trick, but it will not work. Go ahead now, and tell me something more of the miseries and failures of human beings growing directly out of indefiniteness.
2: Why not permit me to tell you more of the pleasures and successes of people who understand and apply the principle of definiteness?
1: I observe that sometimes people with definiteness of plan and purpose get what they ask from life only to find after they get it that they do not want it. What then? Generally one can get rid of whatever
2: is not wanted by application of the same principle of definiteness with which the thing was acquired. A life that is lived with fullness of peace of mind, contentment and happiness always divests itself of everything it does not want. Anyone who submits to annoyance by things he does not want is not definite. He is a drifter.
1: What about married people who cease to want each other? Should they separate? Or is it true that all marriages are made in heaven, and the contracting parties are, therefore, forever bound by their bargain, even though it may prove to be a poor one for both?
2: First, let me correct that old saying that all marriages are made in heaven. I know of some which were made on my side of the fence minds which do not harmonize should never be forced to remain together in marriage or any other relationship friction and all forms of discord between minds lead inevitably to the habit of drifting and of course to indefiniteness
1: aren't people sometimes bound to others by a relationship of duty which renders it impractical for them to take from life what they want most
2: duty is one of the most abused and misunderstood words in existence the first duty of every human being is to himself every person owes himself the duty of finding how to live a full and happy life beyond this if one has time and energy not needed in the fulfillment of his own desires one may assume responsibility for helping others
1: isn't that a selfish attitude and isn't selfishness one of the causes of failure to find happiness
2: i stand by my statement that there is no higher duty than that which one owes himself
1: Doesn't a child owe something in the way of duty to its parents who gave it life and sustenance during its periods of helplessness?
2: Not at all. It is just the other way around. Parents owe their children everything they can give them in the way of knowledge. Beyond that, parents often spoil instead of helping their offspring by a false sense of duty, which prompts them to indulge their children instead of forcing them to seek and gain knowledge at first
1: hand. I see what you mean. Your theory is that too much help thrust upon the youth encourages him to drift and become indefinite in all things. You believe that necessity is a teacher of great sagacity, that defeat carries with it an equivalent virtue, that unearned gifts of every nature may become a curse instead of a blessing, is that correct? You have stated my philosophy perfectly. My belief is
2: not theory, it is fact. Then
1: you do not advocate prayer as a
2: means of gaining desirable ends. On the contrary, I do advocate prayer, but not the sort of prayer that consists of empty, begging, meaningless words. The sort of prayer against which I am helpless is the prayer of definiteness of purpose.
1: I never thought of definiteness of purpose as being a prayer. How can it be? Definiteness is, in effect,
2: the only sort of prayer upon which one can rely. It places one in the way of using hypnotic rhythm to attain definite ends by the mere act of appropriating it from the great universal storehouse of infinite intelligence. The appropriation, in case you are interested, takes place through definiteness of purpose persistently pursued.
1: Why do the majority of prayers fail? They don't. All prayers bring that for which one prays. But you just said that definiteness of purpose is the only sort of prayer upon which one can rely now you say that all prayers bring results what do you mean there is nothing inconsistent about it the majority of people who pray
2: go to prayer only after everything else fails them naturally they go with their minds filled with fear that the prayers will not be answered well their fears are realized the person who goes to prayer with definiteness of purpose and faith in the attainment of that purpose puts into motion the laws of nature which transmute one's dominating desires into their physical equivalent That is all there is to prayer. One form of prayer is negative and brings only negative results. One form is positive and brings definite positive results. Could anything be more simple? People who whine and beg God to assume responsibility for all their troubles and provide them with all the necessities and luxuries of life are too lazy to create what they want and translate it into existence through the power of their own minds when you hear a person praying for something that he should procure through his own efforts you may be sure you are listening to a drifter infinite intelligence favors only those who understand and adapt themselves to her laws she makes no discrimination because of fine character or pleasing personality these things help people negotiate their way through life more harmoniously with one another but the source from which prayer is answered is not impressed by fine feathers nature's law is know what you want, adapt yourself to my laws, and you shall have it.
1: Does that harmonize with the teachings of Christ?
2: Perfectly. Also, it harmonizes with the teachings of all truly great
1: philosophers. Is your theory of definiteness in harmony with the philosophy of man of science?
2: Definiteness is the major difference between a scientist and a drifter. Through the principle of definiteness of purpose and plan, The scientist forces nature to hand over her most profound secrets. It was through this principle that Edison uncovered the secret of the talking machine, the incandescent electric light, and scores of other benefits for mankind.
1: Then I understand that definiteness is the first requisite for success in all earthly undertakings, is that right? Exactly.
2: Anything which teaches people to examine facts and coordinate them into definite plans through accurate thinking is hard on my profession. If this thirst for definite knowledge now spreading over the world keeps up, my business will be shot to pieces within the next few centuries. I thrive on ignorance, superstition, intolerance and fear, but I cannot stand up under definite knowledge properly organized into definite plans in the minds of people who think for themselves.
1: Why don't you take over omnipotence and manage the whole works in your own way? You might as well ask why the negative portion of the
2: electron doesn't take over the positive portion and run the entire works. The answer is that both the positive and the negative charges of energy are necessary to the existence of the electron. One is balanced equally against the other, stalemated as it were. So it is with what you call omnipotence and I. We represent the positive and the negative forces of the entire system of universes and we are equally balanced one against the other. If this power of balance were shifted the slightest degree, the whole system of universes would become quickly reduced to a mass of inert
1: matter. Now you know why I cannot take over the whole show and run it my way. If what you say is true, you have exactly the same power as omnipotence, is that true? That is correct. My opposition, you call it
2: omnipotence, expresses itself through the forces which you call good, the positive forces of nature. I express myself through the forces you call bad, the negative forces. Both good and bad are coincidental with existence. One is as important
1: as the other. Then the doctrine of predestination is sound. People are born to success or failure, misery or happiness, to be good or bad. And they have nothing to do with this, nor can they modify their natures. Is that your claim? Emphatically not.
2: Every human being has a wide range of choice in both his thoughts and his deeds. Every human being can use his brain for the reception and the expression of positive thoughts or he can use it for the expression of negative thoughts. His choice in this important matter shapes his entire life.
1: From what you have said, I gather the idea that human beings have more freedom of expression than either you or your opposition. Is that correct? That is true. Omnipotence and I are bound by immutable laws
2: of nature. We cannot express ourselves in any manner not conforming to these laws
1: then it is true that man has rights and privileges not available to either omnipotence or the devil. Is that the truth? Yes, that is true. But you might
2: well have added that man is not yet fully awakened to the realization of this potential power. Man still regards himself as something resembling the worms in the dust, when in reality he has more power than all other living things
1: combined. Definiteness of purpose seems to be a panacea for all evils of man.
2: Not that, perhaps, but you may be sure no one ever will become self-determining without it. But why aren't children taught definiteness of purpose in the public schools? For the reason that there is no definite plan or purpose behind any of the school curricula. Children are sent to school to make credits and to learn how to memorize, not to learn what they want
1: of life. What good is a school credit if one cannot convert it into the material and spiritual needs of life? I am only a devil, not an unwinder of riddles. I deduce from all you say that neither the schools nor the churches prepare the youths of the world with a practical working knowledge of their own minds. Is anything of more importance to a human being than an understanding of the forces and circumstances which influence his own mind? The only thing of enduring value
2: to any human being is a working knowledge of his own mind. The churches do not permit a person to inquire into the possibilities of his own mind, and the schools do not recognize that such a thing as a mind exists
0: Devil Part One Written by Napoleon Hill Make some noise. Out waiting the devil part one. There was part one of Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill, written in 1937. A conversation between Napoleon Hill and the devil. The devil. In case you jumped on during that, which many of you did, (laughs) I don't know what the fuck is going on here. That's what was going on. That was, yes, Cosmic Kangaroo, that was actually the devil. That was actually the devil. The, the the devil not um you know not the lowercase t but capital capital t capital T dev ill you know and um you know it was very nice of him to uh, make himself available uh to napoleon hill for that interrogation right there was it not was it not by jove by goodness amazing um yeah that was that was dope, huh? That was muy intensidad. How was that for you? Did you learn anything? Did it, did it raise any questions? Um, I like all the stuff about drifting. Uh, there's actually a, a really there's a song about drifting on the Marcus Aurelius album, Meditations, Volume 2. Uh, it's an amazing song. Uh, Pete Parada, formerly of The Offspring, now of The Defiant, has played drums on it. Uh, it's a absolute bop. An anti-drifting bop. So you see, Marcus Aurelius was on that Um Anti drifting wave. I don't want to call it anti drifting. I don't like calling things the thing they're in opposition to. You know what I mean? Pro um, non drifting, pro definite of purpose. You know what I mean? I noticed a few people pointing out that whoever was doing the reading uh, sounded a bit like Norm MacDonald. And that was the the question I did. And I really do uh, love the idea of Norm MacDonald interviewing the devil and i'm pretty sure he'd had some little skits about that in fact i know he did in fact i know that on the forthcoming norm Macdonald meaning wave album there is actually some stuff of that very very nature how about that imagine that um now uh the narrator there was actually dan john miller Shouts out to Je- dan john miller um yeah, so he's got a what a great job he did. Imagine that, right? Your normal re- book reading job is probably you know, not that difficult. This one, you've got to be the devil and Norm Macdonald at the same time. Incredible. Um, yeah, so shout out to everyone locked in. Uh, big shouts out to. Hang on, let me get some. Let me get some music. Uh, do 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 do. Yeah, Gear of the dawn has got instrumentals, wherever, I've lost all of my, I've lost everything, it's all gone. Um, My goodness. My goodness. Whoa. That was so intense, I kind of went into a strange other world. Does that ever happened to you? Uh, it happened to me. I went into a strange other world. And uh, it was nice, you know, it was nice there. It was nice in the strange other world. Uh, there we go. All right. Anyway, um, shout-out to everyone locked in. We're going to be doing part two with that tomorrow, okay? Same bad time, same bad channel. We'll be completing that, that glory right there. And uh, how exciting is that, huh? We're get we we're back in book club land. We're doing book clubs again. Muy uh, auspicioso, you know? Very joyful. Um, big shout-out to everybody. Uh, locked in everyone who supported during that thing thank you mark s we have a new member mark s uh you you can download the uh video of last night's epic stream i don't know how many blocks that's got yet. i need to check in on that um has that all hopefully i'm assuming it has been dealt with by jason Evers since that's his job and he's a professional so that should all be there for you to uh, listen to Uh, It should be on the Patreon for you to watch And it should be there for you to download On the YouTube channel Members section Last night's amazing stream It was great Uh, Not your problem Thank you for the support Says thanks for the show I enjoy your work Mute barbecue. Took the kids to the museum Not your problem Wants to know Will this be available on Spotify Uh, This is fire I'll meditate to this From now on I feel goosebumps Um, I mean it might be on the podcast feed on Spotify It might do it might be uh, John McGarvey what's up says mind control Shouts out to you John McGarvey Sergio Tej thank you for the support Sergio Tej thank you for the support says Napoleon Hill now uh, Bob Proctor wave when huh? when and uh, ST uh, 33 L3 or is that steel? gifted us a membership and that was very nice of you to do that uh, appreciate you thank you very much <laughs> Shouts out everyone out Um I didn't think I'd listen to it all, but I got some stuff done in the garage while listening to this Fire Everything. Well, good for you. That's nice. Very glad for you. Um, Devil would have killed it on Joe Rogan podcast. Says Cosmic Kangaroo. Yeah, he would. Do you think Joe Rogan would have had uh, had as good questions, or would he sh- have shown him videos of uh, bears attacking picnics? That is the question. Uh depends what day it was, I suppose. It depends if you've got Tuesday, Joe Rogan, or Wednesday, Joe Rogan. Uh, the Michael. Uh, hello, Michael. was talking about uh, the Neverine pressing Dagoth or in his plan for Tamriel in flak audio, indeed. Indeed. Out fucking standing wow, says Surge research. Hey, thanks. Kree says incredible. Epicness says Jonathan Simon Music. Isn't it nice we can do this again? How about that? So yeah, we'll be finishing this tomorrow. Uh, Smash that like, do me a favor, and nuke the like, the like needs nuking, muy importante, muy importante, Mark S says, thank you for being amazing, Akira, thank you for being amazing, Mark S, how about that, appreciate you, amazing Mark S, and uh, everybody else, you know what I mean, everybody else, Uh, what's my (laughs) plan, meaning wave, Uh, stream, is brought to you by MeanyWave.com Where has MeanyWave.com gone? I just lost it! Oh no! Anyway, did you like the visuals? The visuals were cool, huh? I liked the visuals. I was enjoying the visuals and um... The whole thing really, the whole thing was very fly. I mean... Very fly Where's my mini wave? there you go uh, this broadcast is brought to you by meaningwave.com meaningwave.com because happiness is a side effect of meaning visit meaningwave.com today and uh, you know enjoy uh, the benefits of, uh, of meaning Wave existing in the world you know listen to the music read some blogs uh, order some hoodies and t-shirts maybe a CD. Maybe a hat, something like that. You know what I mean? We've got lots of cool stuff at MeaningWave.com. We've got digital bundles. You can download all the music in, in Flack or MP3. How about that? Maybe you want to get some vinyl. How about that? Maybe you just want to send a bink, a single Bitcoin, in which case you want to hit resources and support MeaningWave. You know? And then you'll find uh, the PayPal and the Patreon and the Bitcoin for sending the single Bitcoin and the ETH and the Venmo and the Kishap and all of that. So if you want to support Meaning Wave, there's lots of ways you can at MeaningWave.com. You know what I mean? So uh, thank you for your support. Thank you for being here. Adam Fowler says, let's go! Best music on the tube. You are correct, my brother, and I appreciate you and your wisdom. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Thank you for being here. We'll be back tomorrow with part two of this which is very exciting. Which is the final part, the conclusion of this. We're gonna get all the rest of the information out of the very devil, right? Uh, And then we're gonna chase him out of earth. You know what I mean? We're we're gonna put on an iron shirt and we're gonna chase him out of earth. That's what we're gonna do. I just gotta find the iron shirt. Uh, I'm sure I can. You know what I mean? I'm sure it's possible. I will have a word. Uh, I'm sure we've got iron shirts here. Would wish to chase the devil out of earth. Uh, Please do enjoy the rest of your day, brothers and sisters. Thank you for being here. We'll be back very soon. Love to you and your family. God bless.